John Gonzano. Raw, sourced, fresh. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, built by high caliber millwrights, this is the bald faced truth. Welcome in to the Bald Face Truth Thursday edition, December the 27th, as the final days of 2018 are winding down and 2019 approaches. Wherever you may be and wherever you may be listening, thanks for tuning in to the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean. It's a party. The genius trio <laughs> filling in for JC today. What's up, fellas? I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, man? I'm good, Samson. Bobby, what's up, man? Feeling good. Yeah. Feeling good today. Yeah, it's good to be back. Did you have a good Christmas? I did. It was nice. Nice and chill. Nice, man. Where'd you go? I was at the beach. at the coast. The coast at Christmas time. Yeah, it's kind of a family thing we do. That's oh. what's up. It's it's never packed, you, you know? know? Yeah, and, it was nice. Yeah, the storms roll in. It's great. It was, yeah, it was great. Just... Is- Chilling on, took nice walks on the beach. Took yeah. my dogs, took my dogs for walks. Watched movies. Wow, it's a great time. You get me all jealous over here. That's I thought dream. I had a good Christmas, and then I'm talking <laughs> to other people about their Christmases and getting all jealous. Samson, you had a good holiday. Here's the thing, we we were getting ready to reset the holiday scene on yesterday's show and talk about the the highs and hopefully not many lows of Christmas time. Samson, I loved your tweet though over the holidays. Hey. God bless you guys, but whether you're oh. with, with family and enjoying the idea of being with family or you hate the idea of being with family, I hope your holiday goes well, right? Hey, that's how it goes. Some people, they just want to be with family. Sometimes it's like, oh, I, I just need to be alone. Whatever your version of Merry Christmas is, I hope that's what you got. Exactly. So, Bobby, you had three full days with family. Is that is that enough? Yeah, it was plenty. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that because, yeah, spending time with family is always, always good. And yet, there's always a point where you're like, where's my real life? Where is regular life coming back anytime soon? I got to be honest. I had something interesting happen to me on Christmas. Uh-oh. I had to, for the first time ever in my life, pull a do you know who I am, and it worked. Oh, no. And you it, did not. It wow. worked. It worked. Yeah, you got to explain the context so, of this. So here's, here's what's up. And I'm going to sound like a nerd, but uh, my Christmas gift from Kelsey. Look, I like to play the, uh, the racing video game. I got Gran Turismo for the PS4. It's got the VR mode, you know, nice. and just... just Pop in the sports car and go in VR. So she gets me one of those really sweet racing controllers with the steering wheel, the clutch, the brake, the gas. I'm going to pop the VR helmet on. Wow. And just experience freedom, just like you see in the car commercials. Well, here's the deal. is She accidentally gets uh, an older version that won't work with the PlayStation 4. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. That's fine. So she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to I'm gonna get you uh, one right now, and I'm going to order. Look, they have a next day delivery option. I'll pay the extra money. You're going to have it tomorrow. Great. Great. Because we did Christmas a little bit early at, at our house before right. we, we did the family stuff. So she pays the extra, oh, it's like $35 for next day shipping, right? And it never comes. And I don't really, I'm not thinking about it. I don't notice. And I, I don't really care. It's the thought that counts. I'm not a big gift guy. Like, wow, that's really nice. Whenever it comes, whenever it comes. And so it's she pays for next day shipping and it's scheduled to come like on the 30th or something like that. And she's, that is unacceptable. So she emails them and they basically say, well, oh. too bad. And she's like, okay, well, you can uh, either cancel the the fee for the next day shipping and keep a customer or you can lose it and they still say 
too bad. Just no, we're not going to do any of this. And I said, tell him I tell him I uh, am a radio personality <laughs> in the biggest market, and it's not slander if it's one hundred percent true. That so, is brutal. So oh, she emails that, and then the next day. They just said keep it and refunded the entire purchase of the uh, of the item for the inconvenience. Really? Yeah. So totally free now. See, okay. I feel a little scummy about it, you but you should. know what? If you, you should feel a little if scummy. You, you should. Yeah. If you pay pay for next day shipping, deliver next day shipping. If it's going to take eight days to get here. Just refund the cost of the shipping. Well, you can't call it next day shipping if it's not next day. That's that, all I'm saying. That's totally true. So I, I think using the – and they're so unapologetic about it that that's just even more frustrating. That's what made me mad. I would never do this otherwise. Right. That's a bag move. But the way right. they were just like, tough. And yeah. No, absolutely it, not. It's kind of an eye for an eye. Like if they're going to act uh, all, all uh, you know – Yeah. Jerky like that, you get the right to to play the radio card. Exactly, no. and, and I'm never yeah, and Bobby, I'm never gonna Bobby, do it again. Douchey. I'm no, never gonna douchey. do it again. That, that was, that's, <laughs> I really wanted to go with the douchey word. <laughs> like, it is though. It's a douche for a douche. Really. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't apologize. I'm never gonna do it again. Well, oh, I wouldn't say yeah. that either. You done it once. Never say never. It's like a drug, Samson. Once you <laughs> once you hit, get that first little hit, it's like that's oh, right. Man. That's shoot, right. Shoot, shoot that ego hit right into my veins. Yeah, pretty soon I'm just gonna be barging into the restaurant. That's He's right. gonna wear a shirt. He's That's gonna right. wear a t shirt. Sure, you didn't uh <laughs> you didn't tip me uh fifteen percent on this. Um excuse me. I'm on the radio. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> Like, don't make me mad. <laughs> no, I think we've all had those moments, right? And I'm, a, you know, where we've actually thought about it and whether or not you play the card is one thing. I remember um you know, I, I was just wearing like station apparel. Yeah. Like a state we got new beanies, you know, and uh got a new jacket and everything. And so I'll I'll wear that out around and you know, I'll run into people, they'll kinda, you know, stop and, and look and be like, Oh, I wonder who that guy is. And it's like, yeah. yeah, you don't know who I am. <laughs> that's completely okay. But every once in a while I'll run into somebody, make some small talk and they'll be like, Oh, so uh so what do you do? Like while I'm wearing my station right. affiliated apparel and I'm like Really? I work for Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> no, but it's like, isn't it obvious? Like, I, I probably work in, in sports radio I'm if just, I'm wearing three different sports yeah, radio. I'm just a super fan. Apparel. I got the shirt, the yeah. jacket, the hat, the socks. Yeah. I mean, those super fans are out there. God bless them. Bobby, Bobby's one of them. Bobby, you wear your station apparel all over the place, don't you? Oh, uh, you see it all the time, don't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> you would not know, like, just seeing Bobby around, you would not know... <laughs> anything about him that's accurate no you wouldn't and i'm, I'm not even... going to tell you either because i've i've told people that when i've worn the station jacket oh do you work there no no <laughs> that's a different uh robert bean sorry right. yeah but uh yeah man did you get uh, to give any good gifts did i give any good gifts yeah oh of course i gave some good gifts what'd you give oh i'm not telling you that what's the best thing you gave to this time what's the most meaningful thing you gave Ooh, the most meaningful. Because Christmas is all about meaning. You know what I did give hmm. uh, to to a family member? I gave him um, a Monopoly Star Wars version. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was very cool. We That's played. Solid. We played it over the last couple of days. Never played the Star Wars version. It was freaking awesome. How long did it take to play a Monopoly game, though? A couple hours. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. 
Worth it? Oh, it was totally worth it. But you had to like, you were sitting there going, these are the motels? No, this is Starship. No, this is the, you know, Millennium Falcon. Okay, this is motels, hotels. What, what version of these? You know, these are bases. These are, you know, you're just kind of converting things as you're playing the game. I couldn't tell you the last time I played a game of Monopoly. Yeah, I, I get down with the Monopoly. I love it because it gets so cutthroat. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't like to argue when I play or anything like that, but just that little bit of, I mean, just grinding out a little bit of a better trade and uh, all that kind of stuff, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to figure out, you know, there there are certain board games I just don't have the patience for. Like, I'd love to play Risk, but I know that's going to take like another three hours. We should set up Risk right in the middle of this board and just keep it here for weeks. We should do that. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Another one would be fun to set up right in the middle, but you, you couldn't do it because you'd walk by and see would be Battleship. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I played Battleship the other day. I kid you not. Really? First time in like 10 years. Yeah. So I, you know, you know, it's... I just started dating somebody. We're about like a month Whoa, in. I let's know. take a step back here. I know. I know. Whoa. I, it's a little too much vulnerability for, for one show. But uh, yeah, so I'm about a little bit over a month into this new relationship. It's going well. It's going great. But uh, we played Battleship the other day, and uh, she's pretty competitive. Nice. And I'm pretty competitive. But we're figuring out, like, there, there's got to be a balance between being competitive that makes it fun and then being competitive to the point where it boils over and it's no longer fun, yes. right? And so we're kind of figuring that part out right now, and I'm telling you, it's... Uh, it's a balance. It can be a challenge. You know, when Kelsey and I first got together, she's she's a big uh, big fan of board games, and she has a huge collection. Kind of the you know like the indie games that maybe you're not going to find just in Target or anything like that. Really complex. And uh, I'm not a big gamer. I like to get down, but she's the same way. Really competitive, and it can get heated. Isn't the right word. At the end of the day, it's all fine. But it's a little bit of like whoa, sore right. winner there. Yeah. Okay, we played some air hockey the other day. Yes. And th- that puck was flying around, going way fast. And I ended up like hitting it too hard, and it got some of her thumb and got all banged up. She got like a bruised thumb, and that's where I'm like, all right, I think I might be a little too competitive at some of this stuff. But you yeah. know, that's part of the uh, experience. Now you got to establish dominance immediately. <laughs> all right, coming up on the uh, BFT today, we got Mark Spears, senior NBA writer from ESPN's The Undefeated. He's coming up at 1 o'clock. Going to reset some of the top storylines in the association. Plus, Blazers-Warriors tonight. Samson, we've been talking about this upcoming stretch of games for the Trailblazers for uh, for a good while now. They've got two straight against Golden State, followed by Philly, and then the new year comes with Sacramento. Yeah. This is a difficult stretch coming up for Rip City. Yeah, it's going to be really tough to come away with a win at all before the new year. Even Philly, you know, they're a little banged up. They've been struggling a little bit. That's still going to be a tough game. Joel Embiid is a handful, and he's getting away from shooting threes. You realize he's way more effective because he's playing back to the basket six feet from the rim, which is accurate. I mean, he's a handful down there. Portland is going to struggle. Look, I I don't think Portland's going to get blown out tonight. I actually have them covering the nine-point spread, but I don't see that they have enough pieces to get it done. But I'm looking for a big game from Lillard after the way Utah's bottled them up a couple times in the last week. You know, oddly, it feels like Golden State's just a better matchup for the Blazers than Utah is. Yeah, they like to get up and, and down. Yeah, just about any team is after uh, after Utah beats you by 51 points and 
two straight games combined. But we'll talk to Mark Spears more about that to start our second hour, plus punch it audio. And then in the final hour, we'll get more Duck-themed. And we're 24 hours removed from Justin Herbert's decision to return to the University of Oregon for his senior year. I went on the record with all of my thoughts on yesterday's show. Samson, uh, you know, you gave your thoughts as well. The callers came in in a, in a big way, and... They played both sides of it, saying that, hey, it's a, a smart move. Hey, it's not the smart move, not yeah. the wise decision. And we should preface all that by saying that we respect it and admire Justin Herbert and are looking forward as football fans to watching him sling it around in Eugene for another year. But that being said, there's still uh, a critique of the decision either way. Like, we would have been saying some of the same stuff if he would have gone into the NFL as well. That's the reality of what we're talking about. Like, you know, we're talking about a top 10 pick talent deciding to come back for another year and what effect that has on the rest of the quarterback market for the 2019 draft. All of a sudden, you're looking at Dwayne Haskins, who still hasn't made a decision at Ohio State, or a Will Greer out of West Virginia, or a Drew Locke from Missouri, or the guy that's slinging it right now, Daniel Jones, this tall drink of water from Duke, that he could might be the first quarterback taken off the board. The quarterback class is so, so thin that even with Justin Herbert's struggles his junior year, he was still assumed to be the cream of the crop as a top 10 pick for sure, maybe a top 5 pick, and maybe even higher. Now, as it stands, he's going to return. How much can he improve his NFL stock is conversation number one by returning for a senior year. But conversation number two is, does he value the NFL? Because as we came to the conclusion in yesterday's show, he's cut out of a different cloth. And pretty clearly, he he doesn't value the NFL first and foremost, his NFL future first and foremost. He doesn't. He doesn't. He values the college experience and the experience of playing with his brother, the experience of playing for Coach Cristobal, and the opportunity to hopefully win big at Oregon, a la Marcus Mariota won big at Oregon, won them a Rose Bowl, got into the college football national championship game. But there is no telling that Justin Herbert can accomplish the same things that Marcus Mariota accomplished in his final season at Oregon. There are too many outstanding factors outside of number 10's control that have a chance to go positively, yes, but also have the chance to go negatively. Call me a pessimistic. I call myself a realistic optimist. And you have to be aware of the negative factors that could impact his senior season. And a full season of football is a very long time. This is not... We're gonna. There's a chance we could look up in October, see that Oregon already has losses to Auburn and has a road loss to Washington, and it's not even November yet, and we're talking about it being a disappointing season. You have to be aware that that's a possibility, and that very well could happen. Road games at UW, road games at Stanford, road game at USC, and yes, I include USC because USC is going to be a different team next year than they were this past season. They've got an offense that's predicated on putting it in the paint, and they've got a talented quarterback that's going to be a sophomore next year, and they've got talent all across the board on offense, especially on the outside at the receiver position. My point is, as I'm thinking about this, the only way it's a successful season for Oregon next year with Justin Herbert coming back is if they beat Auburn, if they beat UW, and if they win the Pac-12. That, to me, is that's the barometer of success next year. That's how I would define a successful Oregon 2019 season. Beat Auburn, beat UW, win the Pac-12. Otherwise, if none of those three things happen, or if only partial of those three things happen, Justin Herbert's decision to return for senior year is a failure. 
and not a success. 503-417-7575. Tell me if you agree or disagree. Tell me what would you define a successful 2019 season for the Oregon Ducks as being. Anything less than a Pac-12 title, that's not asking for much. That's not asking for much. The amount of talent that they're returning. Anything less than a Pac-12 title and an opportunity to go to a New Year's Six, to me, would be a disappointment given this decision. The stakes are raised. Yes, we're, we're full on board. Optimism abounds in Duck Nation. But I think here on day two, it's time for realism to set in a little bit further as we separate and recognize what's really at stake with Herbert coming back for his senior year. It's time to maximize it. It's time to capitalize. And it's time to be sober-minded with the consequences that could impact this program if you don't win big next season. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, we'll come back. Another segment coming up next. Plus, Mark Spears at 1 o'clock. Mike Bellotti, the former Oregon Duck head coach, will join the program to start the 2 o'clock hour. You'll be here for that. Hear Coach Bellotti's thoughts on Justin Herbert's decision to return to the University of Oregon for his senior season. Uh, Mike Bellotti will talk about that. We'll also reset some comments from Nick Aliotti on yesterday's show that uh, were particularly um, interesting. Called me out on a couple of things, which I, I, I always appreciate from Coach Aliotti. Yeah, he doesn't mess around. He does not mess around, no. The defensive coordinator side of him really uh, shown through a couple of times. But we'll reset some of those comments. Plus, James Krepia, Ducks beat writer of the Oregonian, will join us live from the Bay Area to help preview Oregon and Michigan State coming up in the Red Box Bowl on New Year's Eve. Just getting started on a Thursday edition of the Bald Face Truth. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the BFT on a Thursday. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in for JC today. We got the Red Box Bowl coming up on New Year's Eve, Oregon and Michigan State. The more you look at it, the more you would think it favors the Ducks. And they've still got the uh, momentum from a storyline perspective, especially with Justin Herbert announcing he will come back to 2019 University of Oregon for his senior season. 503-417-7575. Posed the question before the break. We'll post it again here for you. What would thus define a successful 2019 Oregon Ducks football season? Whether it's a certain victory along the way or whether it's a certain number of wins is it winning the pac 12 is it getting to a new year six is it getting to the college football playoff i think that's maybe aspiring a little too high (laughs) especially for a conference that would probably need a one loss team in order to get there i don't i wouldn't be able to see any other scenario in which the pac 12 could land a college football playoff eligible team that had two losses that's just not happening for this conference anytime soon and especially not next season but as you think about Oregon in 2019 look we said the same thing about Oregon in 2018 guys and you can you know I want your opinions on this too Samson and Bobby is you know before the season when August was rolling around we were talking about this team we were talking about the schedule and the expectation from Justin Herbert and company that this could be a nine or a ten win team in the regular season let alone whatever bowl game they could get to and ultimately we got an eight win regular season team with justin herbert fully healthy the whole year in my mind that's not a successful season the team's in the red box bowl 
but it seems in the in the eyes of many Duck fans that it is a successful season, and that bothers me a little bit because if college football is about wins and losses, which I think we all say that it is, it's a money making machine. You got to win games. Eight wins in a regular season is not necessarily successful. Now, depends on what kind of prism you use. I know there will be those that say the recruiting that they had in the in you know in this past signing day, this early signing period makes it a successful season. And I warrant that because they hit it out of the park. But an eight-win regular season, boy, if they do that again next year, then it will be capital D disappointing. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the it was such a soft schedule. The second half of that season, I mean, you know, going to the desert, that game was just brutal. That first half against Washington State. Now, look, I, I don't think we expected Washington State to end up as as good as they were. At least I personally didn't. I thought they were going to be, uh, you know, an above average team. They were going to be fine, but I didn't expect the success that they had. But ultimately, I mean, the offense just floundered. It was it was so bad. And to your point, the stakes are raised. The recruiting class is going to be is solid, you know, that's coming in. The expectations are going to be there. Herbert's going to be another year older, another year mature, uh, more mature. I know the schedule's a little bit more difficult, at least to start out, than it was this year. It's not that just gimme that it was this year. Who was that? San Jose State, Portland State, and who was that third team? Uh, Bowling Green to start Bo- the year. That's right, Bowling yeah. Green. Sorry, it's so long ago. It was. And, Eight wins isn't going to get it done. That's going to be a disappointment. And you can look at it, you know, from a, 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 a mile above and say, yeah, eight wins. That's fine. I mean, that's fine. That's a fun season. You got to do better than that. You have to at least win the Pac-12. You have to. Don't you? I think so. But in order to do so, you got to have to beat Washington. And because Washington is going to be loaded again next year. And they got Jacob Eason ready to rock. And he's going to be you know, arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the conference as well, in addition to Justin Herbert. Bobby, a successful season in 2019 for Oregon would be what? Pac-12 title, and let me follow that up by the Pac-12 missing the college playoff again next year is unsuccessful. So you, I think that Oregon's expectations of winning the Pac-12 need to come on on top of that needs to be the playoffs because the Pac-12... They can't miss another year not making the playoffs. And you're right. It has to be somebody that only has one loss or less. Yeah. And um, I think the Pac-12, I want to follow that up with say the Pac-12 winners got to get in the playoffs. That's successful. Yeah. Because they're doing terrible. They've been doing terrible last year and this year. My biggest concern about Oregon, with Herbert coming back, Merry Christmas, by the way, Oregon fan. Merry Christmas. My biggest concern is you've got a stud at quarterback and you haven't utilized him yet the way he's supposed to be utilized. And that upsets me. And he's coming back next year, and don't you dare fail on utilizing a possible Heisman candidate, maybe even a winner, and do what you did this last year with that talent behind center. Well, and that's you're, you're amplifying a discussion that we had on Wednesday's show as well, Bobby, because that's really the heart of the matter. Can Marcus Arroyo break some of those bad habits or can he at least grow as a play caller? And this is in conjunction with Cristobal because he's overseeing this as well. They're so run-minded and that's a good thing. You have to be a good running football team in order to have sustained offensive success. But 
I've been saying all year that Justin Herbert has been a victim of bad timing. And the bad timing element only exists in the aspect that he's playing for a wonderful, wonderful coaching staff that recruits like crazy. But recruiting, though it is so integral to college football success, does not necessarily mean good skill as a play caller and good skill as a player developer. I, I see those as two different additional skill sets of being a good head or assistant coach in college football. And right now, I think Marcus Arroyo is a fantastic recruiter and not exactly a fantastic play caller or quarterback developer. And if you can do better in one of those two arenas, you have to figure out that this offseason how you can improve in the play calling player development area, especially at a position as important as quarterback. You have to assume that Cristobal is at least looking around. You have to assume that, right? I would think so, but then where does the loyalty factor weigh in? Because this is only year one. We're just wrapping up year one of this. So at what point do you say, hey, year one is enough of a sample size for me to make some type of staff adjustment, not staff change necessarily. Arroyo still has value, but staff adjustment in terms of developing the QB position and in terms of calling the plays. Has he seen enough in year one to make that adjustment? Or does he say, hey, it's only been one year. Let's give ourselves a full off season to make you know the game plan adjustments from what we just experienced year one of the Pac-12. That's a tricky thing for me. That'd be tricky for any business owner, if you're let alone a head coach. Say if you're a business owner, you're only one year into your new venture, your new entrepreneurial venture, what have you, and you're working with close friends or close acquaintances or just people that helped get you there, people that 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 uh, you trust. Right now, I know that's the thing, though. Arroyo and Cristobal were brought in separately by Taggart. Do they necessarily have that capital L loyalty to each other yet that, you know, we might assume that they do have, but I'm not sure if they do yet. Yeah, you can't waste. You compared this to like running your own business, and that makes sense. Like, let's look at it. You're you're developing an app, but your superstar coder, you've contracted him. You only get him for twelve months before his contract is up, and he's gone. He's moving to the bay, let's say, to to go do his own thing. You have to have a good project manager in to maximize the twelve months you've got this superstar employee. Right, and that's what I'm seeing in in in, in Eugene. I just don't know. That Arroyo should be. I think. I think I've seen enough in a year. I have. Yep. What do you need to see? Okay. You. You both. You've said you've seen enough in a year. What do you need to see on Monday? You. We, can you see. see any kind of hint? Can you see any hint Monday? That's why I actually think there's pressure on the Red Box ball. <laughs> That's great on these guys. They've got to be able to put up points, but they're doing it against probably the best defense they've seen all year. Oh, That's what makes it great. Yeah. If they yeah. can do that, if they can. If they can possibly do it and have some of these guys, these young receivers, you know, it's always, we're always talking about somebody besides Mitchell jumping out and, mm-hmm. and standing, you know, stepping forward. And uh, this class that's coming in, we don't have time. We have Justin Herbert for one more year, one more season. Okay, I need more than Mitchell out there. And that's where the incoming freshmen are coming in. But that reminds me of something that Nick Aliotti said yesterday. He said, you can't expect immediate impact from freshmen, or you can't assume it. You know, if they bring it, it bring immediate impact, great. That's fantastic. But you can't assume it because college football is just a different game than the high school game. And the offense isn't, it doesn't necessarily foster room for immediate impact from a freshman to make a bunch of plays. I mean, it's, it's a run first 
offense right okay, now. Okay, I have another question for you. Does that mean that you waste the talent of Herbert for next year instead of just having a quarterback that moves along the same lines as the freshmen that are coming in? Are you wasting Justin Herbert's talent by yes. bringing him in another year? Yep. In terms of are you putting your own program at risk by not developing yeah. the next guy right now? I, because if those if nobody steps up, I don't see Oregon I don't see them if, if first of all if Aurori doesn't make some adjustments and if somebody doesn't step on the receiving core, I don't see Oregon doing much better than they did this year. That's what I think is the scary part of yeah. all this. There's no reason to assume ten victories next year. There's none. There's the you, you can make the case but to assume it and put it in the bank, that's what we did this year. If we were dead wrong, the Ducks lost to Arizona 44-15. That happened. That literally happened. Maybe half of us were asleep because it was over by 9 p.m., but <laughs> the Ducks got their butts handed to them by a crappy Arizona team by 30 points. Tate's that's coming back. And Tate's <laughs> back. Let's go down. Kurt's in Eugene. Talking duck expectations. What should be Oregon's expectations next year, Kurt? Hey guys, uh, happy holidays! Uh, I'm enjoying the BFT second string here. Uh, doing a great job, by the way. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I wanted to. Uh, my, I have a two part take on what next year would be successful for me, and I think if if the second one happens, the you know the first one will fall into place, and the first one for me is to win the Pac-12, obviously. Um, you know, and to be able to to go into a strong, you know, New Year's Six Bowl game. But I think more importantly, if you look at what happened this year on the road, there's going to be some road games next year that are going to determine whether we, you know, get to that Pac-12 championship game or not. And I think the first one that the whole world is going to be watching is against Auburn, obviously. We have to win that game on the road. And then there's two other road games that are gigantic at Washington at USC. Um, I don't think if we take care of those, you know, um, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long year if we don't take care of those road games. But if it's going to be a successful year, you're going to have to win those huge games on the road. So that's that's what's going to be a good one for me is if we win those big games. And I think the Pac-12 championship will fall right into our lap if we win those big games. I absolutely agree, Kurt. Yeah, thanks for the phone call. 503-417-7575. And they're at Stanford as well. So look, I mean, Auburn, that's a quote-unquote neutral site. Road games at Stanford, at UW, at USC. And on top of all that is the just assumed, um, you know, or the additional factor that you've got to take care of business in all the other games, which we thought they would take care of business down in Tucson, and they got their butts handed to them. We thought they'd take care of business in Pullman, and they got their butts handed to them. So just assuming they'll take care of business in the games that they'll be favored is a faulty assumption. That's at the very least... We can huh, we can make that call. All right, more of your calls coming up on the other side. Mark Spears will talk NBA with us to start the two or the uh, one o'clock hour, I should say. Mike Bellotti will be here at two o'clock sharp. So you want to listen to the former Oregon Duck head coach give his thoughts on Justin Herbert returning to Oregon. This is the BFT. former Oregon Ducks coach joins us at 2 o'clock. James Crepe of the Oregonian joins us at 2.30 as well, previewing the matchup on the field between the Ducks and the Spartans. Because with so many uh, storylines to speak of with Oregon football, most notably Justin Herbert's return, we kind of forget that there's a game that's coming up on Monday afternoon yeah. at 12 o'clock. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll talk to James about the matchup between Ducks and Sparty. And, uh, boy, I know... 
I just hope that it's a little bit better than whatever show that we had last night in the cheese it bowl or should i say the cheese int bowl as was so casually embraced on the twitter sphere yesterday between cal and texas christian what was that gentleman peter Sanders, that was Bobby Bean. that was i was watching that i was convinced that i was lucid dreaming that was the way <laughs> like i could just get up and just start wandering around the it was so so bad and we talked yesterday what was the over under on that it was at i think it was actually at 37 and I was like, dang, that is so low. Like, I'm going to have to sniff the over there. Yeah, but the- and then I'm like, you know what? Better stay away. Vegas knows something. Yeah. And, uh, did Vegas know something or what? And those are some of the worst offenses out of all the Power Five. I mean, it, it was just an ugly game. It was so bad that it was actually sort of mesmerizing right, in a way. Exactly. It was like, I, I don't know that I'm watching history. Yeah. You know, it's it's like seeing an impressive, an impressive car accident, but you know no one's going to get hurt. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and just stop for a second and check this bad boy out. Hey, uh, I Bobby, had to, did you check it out? I did, and it, it reminded me why I don't like these lower bowls. It just told me right there they shouldn't have them. Might that as well have been terrible. peewee football. That was terrible. That was Terrible football. What was more disgraceful yesterday? The first responders bowl from Surf Pro getting canceled after a lightning delay at 5.08 left in the first quarter, getting postponed by an hour and a half because of the weather delay and eventually canceled. You had guys crying. Yeah. Seniors crying on the field because that was the way that their collegiate careers would end. Is that more of a disappointment or was that cheese it bowl even more, uh, (laughs) more terrible? Don't you? Wouldn't you been if you were a fan? I would have been there. I would have been furious. I, I, I would have been. Yeah. I would have lost it. Well, I, I think I would have. Fans that went to the game and had tickets purchased through the schools got refunded. Okay. But travel expenses, hotel expenses, none of that got refunded, right? And the experience itself. I mean, that's the most. That that's the least satisfying. <laughs> trip that you could I mean and people took their Christmases right they yeah. they went to Dallas for Christmas to go see that <laughs> and it's canceled 10 minutes in I mean that is a terrible look but the problem is it's and and the, for an optics perspective it's terrible too the Cotton Bowl is supposed to be one of the most iconic football venues most historic football venues that we have in this country and obviously the Cotton Bowl itself not played there anymore so that loses its luster but to have the First Responders Bowl be played in an iconic venue like the Cotton Bowl that sits, what, 70, 80, and have 12 show up? That is a (laughs) massive, colossal failure. And the 12 that showed up have the game canceled, man. That's that's a bad look for for college football bowl season. That tells me we got too many of these suckers. (laughs) That tells you we have too many of these things? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, I didn't think – I thought that that game – by canceling it and not having some type of backup plan of some sort. What's what's a backup plan to that? Move it to Jerry World? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Take it to a high school gym. No, there you go. They, move it to Jerry World. There you go. That's what I would have <laughs> oh, done. they got media day for the Cotton Bowl going so on what? all week. Move, that thing's big enough. Put them in another corner of the place and play the game. That's right. I play, mean, play they, the game. that would have been easy. That, that, that would have been an easy fix, but they're not that smart, so they don't figure that out. And you know what? To be honest, even though it's kind of a crappy bowl, like, I'd watch Boise State-Boston College. Like, Boston College runs the heck out of the football, and Boise State's a top 25 team. Like, they play tough-minded football. Those guys just, I mean, think of uh, Brett Rippon, who's been there for 10 years, five years, but whatever. You know, and there's Mark Rippon at Brett's side, you know, 
watching his son play his final game in a Boise State uniform, 10 minutes in, it's all taken away from him. You had guys getting on their knees trying to get their jerseys dirty at the when the game was canceled. They knew that they weren't going to come because they wanted to at least show that they had something to show for their efforts to showing up to the first responders bowl. It was sad, really. That That is. I mean, it's easy to forget. You know, we're talking about Justin Herbert's future, but for 90, 95% of these guys, that's it. They're going to go work in an office somewhere after this, mm-hmm. and that's their last memory, and they didn't even get the opportunity. I do feel for the kids, and, and I, I feel for the fans. I mean, beyond not getting the game, you got to spend Christmas in Dallas now. That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Dallas, but by the way, we'll get later on in the show, we'll dip into a little bit of the preview for Saturday's college football playoff semifinal. It is officially here, and it will be with the uh, Cotton Bowl is one of the semifinals. You got Clemson taking on Notre Dame, Clemson a big favorite, and then, of course, you got Alabama taking on Oklahoma in the Tua Tua versus Kyler Bowl. That's going to be a lot of fun as well. Also taking your calls at 503-417-7575. What defines a successful Oregon Ducks 2019 football season for you? I mean, anything less than winning the Pac-12 to me would be a failure, but want your thoughts as well. Mike's in Portland. What's up, Mike? Hey, Judah, man. First of all, man, um, I th- you know, when you look at the Ducks, man, and assuming that everybody knows what they're doing, that's the coaches and everything, then you got to look in other places to find out why they're not winning. And I think one of the biggest reasons that the Ducks can't win the big one is they ain't focused. When I look at the Ducks, man, the Ducks are as gear-driven as they are championship-driven. So most of their thought process goes into gear, coming up with new gears and stuff like that. And, and on top of that, their football players have to get involved in designing gear too. So they're not studying plays. Right. They're not doing none of that. Exactly. Now, if you look, now if you look at Alabama, they're not gear-driven. You know, they're, give, they're driven by tradition. So I just think Oregon needs to get off the gear, quit using gear, as a recruiting tool and start using a winning record. So they're not going to win until they get focused, man. That's what all I have to say. Talk to you later. Peace, Mike. God bless that man. I want to talk to him every single day if I can. Oregon being too gear-driven. Now, the, the funny thing about all that, and Duck fans know this, is that Oregon has scaled back a huge amount in terms of promoting themselves via gear and uniforms. They only had, what, like four different uniform combinations, I think, this year, maybe five. Um, went way more simplistic. And so to uh, use that as an argument that they're not focused, I think, is a little misguided. The funny thing about all this, uh, Mike loves to compare Oregon and Alabama. We literally poached one of Alabama's people in order to coach this football team. So Oregon is is not antithetical to Alabama. Oregon's replicating Alabama. And they're they're on their way. Jeff has called in. What's up, Jeff? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yep. Quick conversation. Um, so yesterday when I first heard the news that Herbert's coming back, I was trying to decide, is this good? I mean, obviously, I, I believe the decision was made by him and his family, uh, not necessarily the Ducks. I mean, if he comes back, he's going to play. He's going to be our quarterback. But is this good, uh, good news for the Ducks? And my only thought was it's – it better result in, I mean, at, at, uh, it's hard for me to say at, at a minimum Pac-12 championship, but I'm, I'm almost thinking playoffs or bust because 
otherwise, what it does for the program, it's like after Mariota left, and then I, unless I'm mistaken, I don't know that we have somebody in the wings that's the heir apparent, and so we ended up going with the, the grad transfers, you know, Dakota Pre-Cup, uh, you know. Um, Vernon. Ver, yeah, Vernon Adams Jr., who actually was really good, but it just sort of set the program back in terms of the of the quarterback position, um, and I'm just afraid that, yes, if we end up with an eight, nine-win season or something and it's anticlimactic, we're just going to be bad for the next three or four years. That's, that's my fear as a Duck fan. Yeah, and that's a valid fear. Uh, 503-417-7575. It's a valid fear, but I, I think there's plenty of arguments to be made to why that will not happen. And it begins, first and foremost, with a top-five recruiting class. I want to respond to that phone call a little bit more on the other side. This is the bald Face Truth. Well, there's still a lot to be said on Oregon football for 2019 and Justin Herbert's decision. Optimism abounds on Wednesday. I think realism starts to set in on Thursday. The gravity and the soberness of the expectation level for Oregon football next year is nothing to be trifled with. I mean, this is a big, big football season, and in my opinion, it's never too early to start talking about it, even with the final game of 2018 still upcoming. We're taking your phone calls at 503-417-7575. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in on the BFT today. Let's go on down to Salem. Roy has called in. What's up, Roy? Hey, Judah. Um, You know, I was thinking about something with this Justin Herbert thing, man. Uh, I blame Mario Cristobal. When I when I see coaches like Calipari or Shashevsky, when they have guys that's NBA eligible and you know, they 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 advise them that coming back to school is not going to help you out. I think Mario Cristobal got in the room with this guy and convinced him to come back instead of saying, "Hey, Justin, there's really nothing that we can do for you anymore at Oregon. You leaving thirty million dollars on the table. I think you should go ahead and go to the NFL. We would love for you to come back." but I don't think it's in your best interest. I guarantee you Mario Cristobal didn't say that. He should have told that young man that. You know, it's not like Oregon's got a quarterback coach guru like a David Cutcliffe or, 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 or you know, even a Lane Kiffin, somebody that's had a track record of developing quarterbacks. They don't have anybody like that. He's not going to get better by staying. The, 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 the idea of Herbert's going to get better by staying one more year at Oregon is, is a joke. Mitch Trubisky – he played one year at North Carolina. He's starting for the Bears. You don't get better for the NFL by staying in college. You get better by going to an NFL team, uh, getting into the system, getting coached by NFL quarterback coaches. I, I really don't think Oregon can do anything for him. Really, I, I don't see him developing any more than he is. He's been there for what, three years? This is fourth year, right? So, so what's, what's magically going to happen this year? They just say, oh, you know, he wasn't ready for uh, – Justin Herbert is plenty ready for the NFL right now. I, I mean, I agree with you, Roy, but here's the thing. He doesn't care if he's ready. He doesn't, he doesn't care about the NFL right now. That's the thing. I think we're projecting that he does, and I don't think he does. Okay, but oh, – okay, he doesn't, he doesn't care, but next year, I'm telling you, somebody's giving him the wrong advice because Tua is coming out before him. Tua's gonna get drafted before him next year. Now Tua's okay. Yeah, well maybe. I mean, I mean, I mean. So I mean, this this draft class is extremely thin. 
And, I mean, I, I, I just think if you had a coach that said, hey, man, listen, I know you want to come back and help us, but I advise you to go. I don't, I don't think Cristobal did that. I really no. don't. Yeah. Well, Roy, I appreciate the phone call. It's good to talk to you as always. Um, the, the, we weren't in the room. Okay. Mario Cristobal has been pretty transparent in saying that he likes to sit down with his players, give them all the facts, and tell them where their stock is for a potential NFL draft. And he's going to do it with Troy Dye. Maybe he's already done it. He's going to do it with Dylan Mitchell. Maybe he's already done it. He certainly did it with Justin Herbert. Look, you don't have to be a a, a genius to figure out that Justin Herbert was going to be a top 10 pick. All the early mock drafts were suggesting he's going to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars, whether that was 7 or 6 or maybe even 5, depending where the Jaguars fit, that that was going to be kind of the 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 place where he would most likely end up in the early mock drafts of next spring's NFL draft. That being said, I'm I'm firm in this belief. Justin Herbert doesn't care about his NFL future as much as we do. That's the conclusion. We care about his NFL future more than him. And uh, that's one of the explanations why he's coming back for one more year. Nick Aliotti said it yesterday as well. College is the best time of your life. Why go? Why leave it any sooner than you have to? And if, if you have the opportunity to stay and enjoy the best years of your life and extend that by 12 more months, then do that, my friend. More power to you. Enjoy life. We'll take more of your phone calls a little bit later in the show. In fact, we'll do it at 1.30. 1.30, more of your phone calls. But up next, Mark Spears, ESPNC Undefeated, talks Blazers and Warriors. This is the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. John Gonzano, raw, source, fresh. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, built by high-caliber millwrights, this is the bald-faced truth. Hour two of the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, all uh, here for the ride in for JC today. Trailblazers 19 and 15. They made it through Christmas. The number six seed in the Western Conference. They've got a pretty daunting uh, trio of games coming up next, including tonight at the Golden State Warriors. They return the favor, hosting Golden State Saturday, and then have the second of a back-to-back, hosting the Philadelphia 76ers on Sunday night. Mark Spears is a senior NBA writer for ESPN and the Undefeated. And uh, Mark is uh, on the line and will uh, join us here in a moment if I can press the right button. There we go. Mark Spears from ESPN and the Undefeated joining us. Mark, thanks for taking the time. Uh, You look at the Western Conference standings. Trailblazers fans here in Portland, a little bit disappointed from uh, the recent stretch of games that the Blazers have had including Christmas night losing by a good amount to the Utah Jazz on top of losing to Utah on the previous Friday by 30 points. You look at Portland at 19 and 15, sixth in the West, Mark. What do you make of the Trailblazers through Christmas? Uh, You know, they started off so strong. They started off better than anybody. And I, I was actually surprised by that because to me it's the same two-man band than it was before, right? I mean, you got two stars, and the bench is weak, and there's no real third guy. Um, so, I mean, they're about at where I expect them to be after all. Uh, so, I mean, to me, there still needs 
to be some additions to this roster. There needs to be a third guy. There needs to be a guy coming off the bench that you could depend on scoring-wise. Is Melo that guy? I don't know if Melo's that guy, but they, they seem to need more strength on the roster as far as scoring other than having to depend on those two guys so much. Does Melo have value in today's NBA anymore? The problem is the d- defensively. Um, he never was a great defender. Now it's, it's, he's a really poor defender that players pick on, teams pick on. Uh, wh- Whoever is guarding him, or I mean whoever he's guarding, suddenly they're going to engage in a pick and roll and try to take advantage of it. So um, that therein lies the problem. So you almost have to kind of protect him from a defensive standpoint. But offensively, I still think there's a lot of things that he could do uh, to be an asset to a team. Maybe you don't play him 30 minutes. Maybe you use him for 20, 25 minutes. But, I mean, would it hurt really to try it out? I mean, if, he, if he's interested in being there, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, there's really some slim pickings out there as far as, you know, how many guys do you know can give you 20-plus on any given night? Uh, I definitely think he can be a compliment, but defensively definitely could be a detriment as well. Currently the Blazers sit in the sixth in the West and third in the Northwest Division, Mark, but I'm also looking at Utah at 17 and 18, and they look like a team that's starting to put it all together. The other teams already ahead of Portland in the Northwest Division, Denver, Oklahoma City, those teams look markedly better from a talent and coaching yeah. perspective than do the Trailblazers. My personal fear is that Portland might slip be- below Utah in this uh, second half of the yeah. season, if you will, and might miss the playoffs. Is that a valid concern? Man, the West is deep. Uh, I think it's going to be another thing where it comes down to the last week of the season. And uh, so Portland, I think Portland plays the Kings. Uh, final game of the season at home, dare I say that that game might mean something for both teams. Oh, my goodness. You are right. April 10th. Yeah. People are, are sleeping on Sacramento, but they're 18 and 16. They're playing well. Utah will be better. Dallas is playing a lot better. I think Minnesota's got to improve. Um, New Orleans capable of picking up some games. I mean, there's no easy win in the West anymore, even even Phoenix has, like, split their last 10 games. So it, it's going to be a battle royal the rest of the way, and it's funny, like, Portland plays the Warriors tonight, and everybody in the Bay Area, I mean, you swear the Warriors had the worst record in the world. Uh, they're so concerned about the Warriors. It's 23-12 and 12 in first place in the West, and you think they were in last place the way the Bay Area is uh, responding, but I, I think in a lot of ways, the Warriors having 12 losses now. The Blazers have and the record that they have. I mean, the West is just deep, top to bottom. Warriors still the favorites to come out of this conference and the favorites to win it all in your mind. And is that even a, a debate worth having? Yeah, it, it's a debate. I mean, what if LeBron had somebody? He already got Tyson Chandler. It's going to be hard to beat him four times although. I like the Warriors better right now. Oklahoma City's great. Denver, I, I don't want to get too excited about them just yet. Uh, you always got to be worried about Houston. Clippers are good. Y'all are good. I mean, San Antonio's getting better. 
it, to me, I still feel like the Warriors will win it, but it's anybody's guess who you would project to be in the Western Conference Finals. It literally could be seven other teams in the West Finals. Um, that, because of what I was saying earlier about how good the West is. So um, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. And uh, the Western Conference right now is it's, it's fun on every given night. Anthony Davis, what's his next steps? I know New Orleans is just uh, scared to death that they're going to lose this guy, and they probably will. Is it set in stone in your mind? Is it just a matter of time before the Brow takes his talents to a big market, and that big market being the L.A. Lakers? I mean, but he still has another two, a year and a half on his deal, right? He so, does, yeah. Kind of curious that everybody worried about it right now. And, um, I, I, if I'm Pelicans, I'd tell Anthony, look, you're going to play here the rest of the season, and we'll worry about it in the summertime. You know, uh-huh. I, I just think he's um, he's too big of a talent, and you almost have to tell your team that because it, it seemed like ever since all this news came out, um, they plummeted. So it's um, – it's one of those things, too, where you're, if you're the general manager, maybe you talk to him and say, look, man, what's the deal? <laughs> like, if you really don't want to be here, let us know, and, and we can figure out a way to accommodate you by the trade that now. Because it's, it's just not good for the team. It's not good for the fans. It, it's certainly, you know, and I've got a lot of family in New Orleans. They don't want to keep hearing it. They're a small market, and they're, you know, not as good as – a city as L.A. or Boston, but I don't think I'm helping the Lakers if I'm them. I'm, I like the, I might like Boston's assets better and, and try to move, make a move that way. What team uh, has been the most surprising to you, Mark, in uh, the Eastern Conference this year? Is there a team that has um, surpassed your expectations that might have a chance to represent that conference in the NBA Finals? Uh, Indiana Pacers. Um, you know, I thought they could be a surprise team from the beginning. I wrote that uh, going into the season that Nate McMillan could be coach of the year. They're playing excellent. Nobody's talking about them at all. And they're sitting third, um, two, two and a half games out of the top spot in the Eastern Conference. Um, they play great defense. They, they got uh, two good young stars and Oladipo and Miles Turner. Uh, just, you know, no one wants to pay attention to them, no one, but yeah, they, they certainly have an opportunity. Do I, do I think they'll win the East? No, but you got to pay attention to them. They're, they're really, really sneaky good. Mark Spears, ESPN, the undefeated Mark, appreciate your time as always. We'll look forward to the next time. All right, man. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. There he is, Mark Spears. And uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Mark J. Spears ESPN, joining us on the BFT. That's pretty much the reality of the situation for the Portland Trailblazers at 19 and 15, currently third in the Northwest Division. My fear is that they will slip to fourth if Utah keeps playing the way that they are. And of course, at Golden State tonight versus Golden State Saturday versus Philly on Sunday. And then going on the road to take on De'Aaron Fox, the fastest player in the league, to uh, kick off 2019 on New Year's Day. But Peter Sampson, you know, it's funny too, though, because we look at the Blazers' recent struggles, 
And yet this is still their best 34-game start to a season since 2014. Like, this isn't out of the ordinary for Rip City. Yeah, you know, Portland, since LaMarcus Aldridge left, has started slowly every single year. And we're stressed out about it. Blazer fans are stressed out about it. The reality is they're, they're a good team. They're not a great team. They're inconsistent. It's just how it's going to be for the rest of this season. It, it just is. I think the consistency is what you know is, is bothersome most to me. Because you've talked to me about this, too. Is that the Blazers are a hard team to watch. When they're playing well, they're a fun team to watch. Yeah. Like, the style is actually an appealing style. You know, the, the the they like to shoot some threes. They got bench guys that like to fire away from deep. They still got a guy that can allegedly protect the rim and Yusuf Nurkic. And I know all the metrics suggest that he is a good rim protector. But then he goes up against a guy like Gobert and is the most ineffective big man in the world. So, you know, he... he they are fun to watch when they're playing well, but when they're not playing well, it's like, wow, this team is very one-dimensional. They're very Dame-oriented, and they don't have enough balance or depth to compete with some of the big boys in the in the Western Conference. Now, the funny thing is, is that every single time that we get too far down on the Blazers, they will bounce right back up and surprise you, like they might win tonight. Yeah, I would. And that's the problem with this. It's a good problem, but they might win tonight and be like, "Oh yeah, that's right. They can compete with the big boys every once in a while." But I'm not sure how sustainable that consistency really is. It's NBA purgatory. Yeah, they they might win tonight or or in in two days when they play Golden State again at home. And uh, that Sacramento game looming, you know, Portland every single year, mark my words, does have an inexplicable loss in Sacramento. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Now, of course, they're playing some pretty good basketball, but. To your point, it's sort of the worst place to be. You can you can sell winning or you can sell hope. Are the Blazers winning? Ah, they're four games above five hundred. They'll probably go on a nice stretch in February. But I mean, really, are are, are they going to make the second round even? Let alone the Western Conference Finals. Well, I don't necessarily see that happening. Okay, well, is there hope? Who are your young pieces that are going to excel next year and get this team to the next level? Who's Where's that draft pick? Where's that trade that we've been waiting for for so long? It's just not out there. It's not out there, and the margin of error is so slim. When you're a small market team with limited resources and limited uh, roster flexibility like Portland has, yes, some of that is self-culpable. Some of that Neil Olshay brought upon himself with those, you know, <laughs> lovely summer of 2016 yeah, deals. Some, yeah. Some of those, right? I understand that. But at the same time, I mean, is not his concern from being a small market GM valid to a certain degree, too? It's like it's going to be hard to construct any type of quote-unquote super team a la Golden State, a la Los Angeles. I, look at, I take a good hard look at what Denver's doing, though, and it shows me that it's possible. Now, here's the problem. Denver hasn't done anything postseason-related. So to to crown their success and hold that up as Exhibit A, that you can win with a non-supersized market, non-super um, team, you can say that, but then again, it's we're only through Christmas. Anybody can put a good 25-30 game stretch together. Can you get it done in the postseason? That still has yet to be seen with Denver as well. That That's true, but the thing about Denver is not only are they doing well now— they're primed for the future, and the real issue that Blazer fans have with this team and, and a lot of the things that, that Neil Olshay has done, and look, you know, I, I try not to crack on Olshay too much because he's done some things very, very well. Right. He's excellent at finding value on the free agent market, getting an Alfaruk Aminu and Ed Davis, a Robin Lopez, those guys on low contracts that are going to outperform. But well, Like Yusuf. Yeah, yeah, but the issue is 
if you say we have no chance to compete, look at Golden State. And, you know, that is a valid argument. There's two things. First of all, I would define success. Get to the second round and have a competitive series. That, to me, is success. Even if you throw that out the window and you accept there's no way you can beat Golden State, shouldn't you have been building toward the future? Shouldn't you be primed to peak in a year or two and be rising up? You look at a lot of these teams. Denver's going to get better. Utah is still young. There's all these teams that are geared towards the end, of the potential end of that Golden State window. The Blazers are not in any position to get better as Golden State is starting to decline. That's the tricky thing. Yeah, you try to marry the intersection by prognosticating where Golden State's dip will ultimately come. And will it come in the form of Kevin Durant leaving? That's ultimately as a competitive GM of of a Western Conference team, small market, large market, whatever. You've got to try to predict when Golden State will fall. And their quote-unquote fall would be when number 35 leaves. Maybe. And and, and maybe not even then, right? And it depends what Draymond does as well. And I I think Draymond's going to go. I think Draymond's going to find a nice, comfy deal with somebody else, and it's it's just run its course with him in Golden State. So yeah. if he leaves, if KD leaves, now you're talking about, okay, how do I set up my own team for success to strike when the iron's hot? Because the iron's heating up. Yeah, and you know, you've you had three first-round picks to maybe look at gearing up for next year, the year after. And Zach Collins, he's nice. He has great defensive instincts. I don't see it as a scorer. I, I mean, I like him as a player, but okay, well, let's see. You could have had John Collins, Kyle Kuzma, and I don't know, Josh Hart or something like that. You you could have really built toward the future, and it just hasn't been done. Even this year, Simon. Simons looks like he's, he's potentially going to be a baller. Maybe he's two years away from being two years away. No. He's 17, right? Or 18? He's, he's 18. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he's going to be post-Lillard. Yeah. I mean, even if Lillard's still here, it's going to be when Lillard's starting to decline. And that's the tricky thing is you have to convince Damian Lillard, you know, the clock is ticking on his deal. He's got two years plus the remainder of this season left. I know he's loyal. I know he's loyal. And I love that about Damian Lillard. But things can change. And if you're going to convince him after two and a half more years of, I don't know, first round and out, hey, we need to get better. We need to build. Are you willing to be the veteran presence on an up-and-coming team? Oh, by the way, you're 30. Do you accept that? Yeah. I don't know if he's still posing with the you know, Larry O'Brien trophy in front of the Rip City sign for his Twitter profile pick anymore at that point. Yeah. For Neil O'Shea, we know he loves investing in the young guys because, one, I think he's pretty good at it, at prognosticating young talent, yes, but there's a... There's a job security dynamic to that too, where it's like, hey, yep. my my guy hasn't he's not old enough to prove himself yet. You can't fire me now. And there's an additional job security dynamic. No one wants to say it, but since Paul Allen's passing, who's who's gonna ever fire Neil O'Shea? Like Chris McGowan's not gonna be doing it. Chris McGowan's got the the additional responsibility of overseeing Vulcan and stuff going on with the Seattle Seahawks and Seattle Sounders and all that up there. You know, Jody Allen's not going to do it. There's no there's no sale of the Blazers that's imminent right now until new ownership gets in here and gets settled in. Neil O'Shea has all the job security in the world. Maybe because because these these people basically you know Paul Allen was not just uh, a businessman. He was passionate about basketball and he understood basketball to a degree. Now, yes, was he too in love with point guards and all that stuff? Yeah, he was. But at this point, we're talking it's the bean counters in charge. So as long as people are showing up to the Moda Center and it's profitable, he's fine. If if attendance dips 
and they're not getting all that parking revenue and all the revenue from the $13 adult beverages and their empty seats and revenue dips and they're not profitable, whether they understand the actual minutia of the basketball decisions, I wouldn't be surprised to to see a change made at all. You know what's funny is that it's going to take something massive for revenue to dip. Portland's too... Soccer moms. That's why we're called soccer moms. I say this with a grain of salt because I love Portland. I, I love this city. But it doesn't demand championships. It doesn't demand right. winning. It demands guys that your kids can root for. That's what it demands. That's all it cares about. The only way revenue dips is if the jailblazers come back. If you have good guys to root for, you can be the eight seed. We'll still show up, baby. We love the Blazers. We love hashtag Rib City. We don't demand winning like other big markets do. So that's why small markets get stuck in purgatory. Of course, there's executive culpability. Of course, there's ownership culpability. There's also fan base culpability. That's exactly right. And look, I'm not a championship or bust, unless you're a Warriors fan, is not a great place to be as a sports fan. I'm not championship or bust. You're not championship or bust. But again, I demand more than 10 straight playoff losses. That's that never happens. That's insane. Ten straight playoff game losses. You got swept back-to-back years. You got swept by a team with a lower seeding than you. I, get to the second round and have a competitive series. I just want to feel like there's a path to the Western Conference Finals. You don't even have to get there. But is there a path? Do I feel good about it? That's it. And I can sit. I can enjoy this team as a fan. That's all I need. Sounds like you need to uh, bifurcate a little bit more, Samson. <laughs> yeah, I need to go bounce off the walls of the Moda Center. <laughs> all right, uh, we'll go away. We'll come back. I want to talk a little bit more uh, Blazers-Warriors tonight, previewing the matchup. Plus, punch it audio in front of us. Justin Herbert, did he make the right decision to come back to the Oregon Ducks for his senior year? We'll continue discussing that. Mike Bellotti, the former Oregon Ducks head coach, joins us at 2 o'clock to discuss Herbert's future, the future of the Oregon Ducks, and what he sees operating under Mario Cristobal. Uh, A lot to get excited about, but the stakes have officially been raised. Also, James Screppy of the Oregonian joins us in the final hour as well. This is the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Dubs tonight, Blazers Dubs Saturday, Blazers Sixers Sunday, Blazers Kings next Tuesday. A lot of big games for the Trail Blazers. Welcome back to the BFT. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean. We'll dip into more Oregon Ducks discussion later in the show with you as well. But uh, for this Trail Blazers team, Sampson tonight taking on the Warriors. Are they getting the Warriors at the right time, considering Golden State is just coming off a healthy butt-whooping to the L.A. Lakers? The the easy answer is yes, but I don't think so because, look, the reason they lost that game is Draymond, Steph, Clay, and to a d- degree, Kevin Durant all had poor shooting nights at the same time, uh, especially from three. I think they combined to go, I don't know, two or three of 14, something like that from three. Uh, they combined to shoot in the 30s from the floor. Is that going to happen back-to-back games for the Warriors? Maybe, but... I'm not going to take my chances, and especially with the Blazers' perimeter defense, the way they defend the three-point line, I'm really nervous that this is going to be a get-right game for Steph and for Klay Thompson. I mean, KD's always going to be able to get his. Alfred Camino does an admirable job against Kevin Durant. He makes him work for his points, at least. There's that, you know, but no one can stop KD one-on-one. I'm really nervous that uh, Steph... 
is going to match up with his brother a little bit and have a little fun there, clowning his brother. Right. Uh, That'll be good. <laughs> it's going to be entertaining. And look, I don't think the Blazers get blown out tonight. I think it's going to be a close game. Damian Lillard always shows up in the Bay. Look for a big game from Dame. I just don't know that anyone else is going to be able to get it done to give the Blazers a realistic chance. Let's not forget that the first team, the first time these two teams met this season, Golden State was riding a four-game losing streak yeah. going into this game, which was their longest losing streak since 2013. So technically, we could copy and paste the same question to this matchup as we did last matchup, which was, is the Blazers getting Golden State at the right time? Four-game losing skid back then. What happened? Warriors, Beat him by like 27. Warriors 125, Blazers 97. KD, KD had 32 points. Dame only shot 9 of 24 for 23 points. Could something similar happen in this game? I think so. Although that being said, I, I do think Dame will probably show out a little bit more. Um, you know, for the Warriors, though, and I asked Mark Spears this just a few moments ago when he joined us on the BFT, is there is the debate more... Is the debate more applicable now than ever, questioning Golden State being the favorite in the NBA, maybe even the Western Conference? Yes, but. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. They seem vulnerable this year. They seemed vulnerable at the end of last season in the playoffs. Obviously, that Houston series, it came down to you know the Rockets going 0 of 23 gosh, from dude. 3 or, or whatever. I still think about that series all the time. And Golden State, gosh, man, you forget how... F- fortunate they were to win last year you forget how fortunate and i feel but i love daryl morey i love daryl morey i I think he's got an edge to him that's so appealing as a media member as a sports fan in general i don't love houston but i love daryl morey he constructed the warriors kryptonite he did his job to the perfect degree and fortune favors Golden State. That pisses me off to this day. <laughs> yeah, what, what I love about Morey, and, and again, I can't stand the Houston Rockets. Their fans are insufferable. But Daryl Morey didn't roll over and say, well, it's inevitable. The Warriors are going to win it for the next five years. That's right. Which is why that's not the right decision. And he they were sacked a, up, man. And they were a Chris Paul hamstring and a historically bad shooting game away from going to the finals. And that's why I respect that. And that's why I'm saying you can't just roll over. Anything can happen. You look at the discord that the Warriors have had this year internally with Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. Guys are thinking about their next deal. An injury could happen. There's a lot of factors here. Now, at the end of the day, is it going to be the Warriors? Yeah, probably. I mean, but anything can happen. They seem as vulnerable as they've ever been, even if the odds are still in their favor. Well, I'm in the business of bifurcating, Samson, as you know. So (laughs) any discord that happens to the Warriors is, quote-unquote, regular season discord and not postseason discord. But we've seen them on the brink of elimination before. Even, gosh, man, I think of the OKC Golden State Series. That was pre-Durant, right? Yeah. Was that a 2016 series? Yes. 3-1, right? And so close. If Durant wins that series, none of this happens. None of this happens. If Clay doesn't have some historic Game 6 in OKC, then we're not even talking about that. That's how much gravity postseason basketball has. Can it get here already? I'm already fired up, man. (laughs) Now that we're talking about NBA post-Christmas, I've already got... You heard Mark Spears say it on an interview on December 27th. He says, boy, if I'm not mistaken, the Trailblazers play the Kings... Not on New Year's Day. He said, on the last game of the regular season. We're already thinking about April at this point because the Kings are in possible playoff contention. Bobby Bean. Peter Sampson, what could fire you up by the Blazers? 
Uh, what could they do to fire you up as fired up as uh, Judah Newby is over there? <laughs> I, I, what could they do? I, I'm just curious because I know that you have the same kind of attitude I do about them right now. Yeah, I, I need to move for a starting quality forward. I like Al Farouk Aminu. I think he's a great piece off the bench. He's a good defender. He's a great rebounder for his position. Mo Harkless is really hit and miss. He's looked better as his knee has recovered. He, he had the minor surgery last year. But if we're being honest and we look at all 30 rosters, all 30 NBA rosters, that has to be the worst starting forward combination in the NBA. If you're talking the three and the four, I mean, you're on a good night, a good night, you maybe get 17, 18 points combined out of them, maybe 20. I need a move for a legit wing, uh, three and D wing. And it, that's tough because that's the position that's most at a premium. But the Wizards are holding a fire sale. They're willing to get rid of Otto Porter. He's overpaid, yes. But they're because of that, they're willing to take, like, I don't know, matching salary and a low first rounder. Make it happen. There you go. That's what I was looking for. I wanted a name. I wanted a name. And who are you giving up? Who are you giving up for that? If they're taking that, who are you giving up? It sounds insane because these players have underperformed, but because of Otto Porter's contract, you could go Myers Leonard, Mo Harkless, and your first-round pick. I, I, I know with every bit of my being that would get it done for Otto Porter. Otto Porter is an absolute money. He's 43% from three. He's as good a defender as Al Farouk Aminu, maybe. But he's certainly not a minus. He's a plus defender, and he's only 25 years old. You're, what you're doing with that move, yes, you're locked into salary at plus $20 million for the next three years. Just think of it as your free agent signing in uh, 2020, and you're getting him a year early. You're getting him in a year early. You're also doing business with Ernie Grunfeld. So make sure that uh, you know, the Wizards GM knows who you're talking about when you throw in a, sub, a few names, especially if you throw in <laughs> Seth Curry in that discussion. Make sure Mr. Ernie knows you're talking about Seth Curry and not Steph Curry, just in case he got confused. Did You you saw that. We haven't even talked about this. How have we not talked about this yet? That insane Grizzlies-Wizards sun trade that got nixed because we were talking about Dylan Brooks and not Marshawn Brooks. And it sounds like this is Ernie G's fault. I, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but j- between James Jones and Ernie G and that whatever S show they have going on in Phoenix, uh, yeah, people messed up in a big way, and it was entertaining as heck. The funniest part about that to me, and I know Duck fan listening might not like this, I'd rather have Marshawn Brooks than Dylan Brooks. And look, all the credit in the world to Dylan Brooks. When he was drafted, I didn't think he was an NBA player, right. and he's a solid, solid NBA guy. Credit where credit is due. Mar- Marshawn Brooks can score, right. and he's got some real potential. Is he going to reach it? Ah, who knows? But but when I l- look at both of their bodies of work and I look at the way Marshawn can get to the rack and score in a variety of ways, I would have preferred him anyway. But no, they wanted Dylan. So Blazers cover the plus nine? They cover, but they don't win. Yeah. Bobby? No. Yep. Nope. Clay gets hot. Clay gets yep. right. Yep. Dame goes crazy in the Bay. They cover, but they don't cover uh, on the second leg of this when they play in Moda. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> oh, Dame's going to go for like 36 tonight. Yeah? It, he, yeah, he's going to keep it close, but th- but they're not going to win this game. They're not going to cover. <laughs> hey, guys, just give, give me a Sixers win uh, or give me a win over the Sixers. Give me a win over the Kings New Year's. And if you go 0 for 2 with these Warriors games, that's okay. I'm to- See, and, and that's what's <laughs> up. You, you lose two in a row to the champs. 
fine, yeah. great. But you have to show up against Philly now that they're a little bit vulnerable, kind of dealing with figuring some things out, dealing with injury. You have to beat the Kings, even though that's tough. After that, you have to beat the Thunder, or at least stay competitive with the Thunder. You have to beat the Rockets. It's those games that are not necessarily just right in the wheelhouse, easy pickings, but a little bit of a challenge. You have to rise a little bit. There's a lot of those on the horizon in January. Those are the ones you have to win. Why is it fine to lose to the Golden State twice? Because they're let alone State. once. Well, I know. Look, you you never are you, you from ne- are you from here, Bobby? Are you from, are you from Portland? Yeah, but it's I okay root for, I root for a winner. <laughs> right? See, yeah, you're the ant- antithesis. But it's because you've spent time in big markets. You yeah. spent a good amount of time in L.A. I, I should say it's it's understandable to lose to the Warriors twice. You're right, not you're right, not going right. to wring your hands over yeah. that. Just like, well, of course we lost. As Peter Sampson, he's Bobby B, and I'm Judah Newby. This is the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Punch It Audio is coming up next. Listen to Nick Saban explain why he's opposed to the college football playoff expanding listen to one former nba veteran that says the lakers could be the one seed in the western conference that and a whole lot more coming up on punch it audio mike bilotti joins us at two o'clock former oregon ducks coach mike bilotti joins the bald face truth in 20 minutes you want to be here for that hear coach give his thoughts on justin herbert returning to the university of oregon James Crepia will preview Oregon and Michigan State also in the final hour. We'll have a two at two. We'll have what were they thinking? We'll have more Oregon football talk. But right now, let's go get the best sound from all around. Punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Brett McMurphy of Stadium Network. He's the one who broke the story on Ohio State's Urban Meyer back in August. He was on the Jim Rome Show guest hosted by Grant Napier this morning. He said that Oregon should be a favorite in the Pac-12 given Justin Herbert returning. He also offered some further thoughts on the Ducks in 2019. Punch it. In Pac-12 play, I think they go not easy. They have to go at Washington, at USC, um, and at Stanford. But certainly the pieces are in place for Oregon to maybe step up and be the best in the Pac-12. In, in terms of the controllable, controllables, <laughs> Oregon has those in their favor when you're asking for things to set you up for a big season. You've got the big high-profile games, Auburn, UW, Stanford, SC, You've got your best player coming back, and you've got an influx of talent coming in. Those are the knowns. The unknowns are injury factors, overall health, and the biggest unknown of all, Samson and Bobby Bean, is the fact that you don't know what this offense will look like. Will it adjust, if at all, from the 2018 version? Because it has to. Yeah, I, I have no confidence in that. Not, not that I don't think it'll happen. I just truly have no idea. I don't think any of us do. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm look. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm looking for something big on Monday. I am. I, yeah. I don't know why. I just want to see. Everything's now behind us. He made his decision. Let's see what they can do on Monday. It, it is it's a bit of a litmus test. Yeah. And the defense is nasty. That's right. Michigan State is nasty yeah. defensively. Should the college football playoff expand from four to possibly six or maybe even eight teams? Nick Saban says no. It should not. Punch it. I was opposed to going from two teams to four teams. And um, look, I think there's been a unique thing about college football that 
a lot of people get a lot of positive self-gratification from being able to go to a bowl game. That means you had a successful season. A lot of players get rewarded for that. And I think the playoff has become and will continue to become as it expands, if it's expanded, to minimize the importance of those games. And that's Nick saying he's got more thoughts, but... Look, they're in year four of a 12-year deal with this four-team college football playoff. Ultimately, this will come down to money, right? If they have a chance, if the executives, if the uh, if the respective um, commissioners of the Power Five conferences get together and see an opportunity for more revenue to be had by an expanded playoff field, mark my words, it's going to happen. You follow the power of the dollar bill. Right now, I'm not sure if that revenue increased is is out there yet. I know the entertainment factor would be there to expand from four to eight teams, but Nick Saban is right in this regard. It would cheapen the importance of the these upcoming Cotton Bowl semifinal, of the upcoming Orange Bowl semifinal. It will cheapen their importance because all of a sudden, those will no longer be semifinals. These premier games that historically have been some of the biggest, most important spotlights for the best players in the country will become quarterfinal games, which certainly lose their gravity and their meaning. This just came across, across the wire on Twitter from Matt Preem. Jake Hansen's just announced he's coming back, the center for Oregon. Oh, some breaking news there. Yep. Okay, nice. So I wanted to get that in there. Sorry yeah. to break that in, in your saving stuff. No, I love it. I yeah. love it. We get another Christmas present two All days right. after Christmas. Nice. Jake Hansen coming back. Yep. You know, it's funny because has Shane Lemieux made his decision yet? I don't think he necessarily has. It doesn't say here. It doesn't say anything about Shane Lemieux. Calvin Throckmorton announced he's coming back, so you got your starting right tackle. You got your starting center coming back for his senior year. Shane Lemieux said that he wants to come back, but he has to talk to his other teammates first. I'm sure one of his teammates was Justin Herbert, who's coming back. So if Lemieux comes back, you can go Sewell, Lemieux, (sighs) Hanson, Warmack. Because Warmack's back for one more year, right? I yes. mean, he's not a senior, I no. don't think. Making no. me tingly, Judah. And then and then Throckmorton. Oh, oh man, that offensive oh. line. Oh. Oh. I hope they're run first. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally, totally kidding about that. Totally kidding. NBA action last night. The Rose returned to Chi-Town. Punch it. Gibson in the corner. Taj will back his man down. Back out to Rose. He'll step into an angle three and drain it. First three of the night for Derek Rose. He's one of three from long range. The NBA's fifth leading three-point shooter. Really? Fifth leading three-point shooter, Derek Rose? I know. Crazy, right? That is crazy. And this is pretty interesting. I mean, look. Derek Rose, tough guy to root for because of all the questionable parts to his character and his history. Totally understand that. But I spent uh, four and a half years out in Chicago, part of my undergrad, went to a lot of games at the Madhouse on Madison, spent a lot of time in that arena. It's a great place. And D. Rose was there in his prime. Seeing that guy up close and personal and what he means to that fan base, you can't uh, underestimate that. And you can't underestimate how much it hurt Chicago to see him uh, leave and leave in the manner in which he did, and all the injury stuff. And we can't forget, the first time he got that little knee injury was here in Portland, right? Yeah. It was that, that collision underneath the basket. Under the basket, yeah. Um, so to see him return, T-Wolves won this game, by the way, 119-94, to because Chicago's absolutely terrible. They're 9-26 and now, but <laughs> pretty interesting to see D-Rose make his uh, madhouse return. Yeah, I, you know, I never thought that he would be able to... Uh, he didn't completely reinvent his game. He obviously learned to shoot from the outside, but he's gained back, it looks like... He's 
85% of that. Remember that lead, that devastating crossover he used to have? He's still getting that off every once in a while. Look, it's it's an interesting thing with Rose this year because if it was any other guy, it would be hands down a huge redemption story. I don't root for Derrick Rose. I, I can't root for a guy like that. It's the same reason I couldn't root for Kobe. He got a pass for Colorado, and to me, that's unacceptable. But... If it was anyone else, this would be one of the massive stories of the year, and it's still a big story. I just can't bring myself to, to cheer for the guy. Yeah, and I, I can't blame you for that. Yeah. But, and the other thing is when you have got guys that you are morally against as people, and those guys exist, it's hard to see them be friendly with guys that you support. Um, like, for me, it's Chance the Rapper. Like, I love Chance the yeah, Rapper yeah, yeah. and everything he stands for, and I love his music. To see him dap up Derek Rose last night, too, was a little hard for me. Because, like, what do you expect Chance to do? Like, not show some love to one right. of the guys? I mean, Chance is a Chi-Town guy, too. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, you're like, Look, I can't support Derrick Rose. I love Chance the Rapper. It sucks that they're dapping each other up, but whatever. Yeah, and and I'm not going to tell someone that they shouldn't root for Derrick Rose. It's just, and maybe it's just me getting older. Maybe it's now that I'm a parent. Because I remember when I was a teenager and uh, and into my early 20s and you had the Jailblazers. When they were winning, I didn't care. And that's I've done a complete 180 on that, you know. And you mentioned earlier, Portland wants guys that they can root for. And I'm not quite there where all I want is good guys that I can then just, you know, and we can go first round and out. But but those those questionable moral uh, characters, as a polite way to put it, I just can't get down with. Last piece of the meal here on Punch It Audio. Notre Dame Clemson coming up. Nobody's really given Notre Dame a chance. Quarterback Ian Book, he knows that. Punch it. I think it's huge. I think all of us, you know, we don't listen that much to the outside noise, but we know that people don't, you know, think we belong here. And we're just controlling what we can control. And, um, you know, just going to do what we've done this whole entire season. And, um, it's a chip on our shoulder that no one thinks we should be here. And we want to prove people, you know, why we belong here. They've won some big games. They've also struggled against inferior competition. They had a tough time beating Pittsburgh at home. Um, but that being said, Ian Book is a fantastic freshman quarterback. I don't know how he will do against Clemson's nasty defense. Clemson is going to be without a couple of guys in this game because of the failed drug tests, including defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence, one of the greatest TFL sack producers in the entire country. He's going to be an outstanding pro. Clemson, a double-digit favorite in this game. I have a hard time seeing Notre Dame uh, win this football game. Bobby Bean, I know you follow uh, college football, follow some Notre Dame. Is the fact that they're not getting credit in this game more a reflection of how good they actually are or a reflection that, look, they don't play in a Power 5 conference, and so they deserve to have this type of criticism going into a big game? It's the second. They don't deserve... The criticism, they're not in a Power 5 conference. They they choose their schedule, I realize that. They, but they played some weak opponents this year. USC wasn't up to snuff. Stanford wasn't as good as they've been in the past. I don't think... Um, I understand why they're getting criticism. I think they're better than the criticism's giving them. I think they're going to give Clemson, without some of their defensive players, especially uh, Alexander that's not going to be in there, I think it's going to be tough. I think they're going to give them a tough game. I think they will, too, but I think Clemson should win that game, and it should be Clemson-Bama in the national championship a week from Monday. Okay, that's Punch It Audio. Coming up, Big Splash will give you one of the splashier stories as of late. In fact, Bobby Bean just gave you a nice little nugget with uh, an important Oregon Ducks offensive lineman that also has announced he is coming back next year. I want to reset a couple of uh, cuts from Nick Aliotti's appearance on yesterday's show. Use that to continue the Justin Herbert discussion, whether or not he made the 
right decision. Okay, that's a discussion in and of itself that won't ultimately get a clear answer. But we can discuss what this means for the level of expectation for Oregon Ducks version 2019. We'll parlay that into Mike Bellotti joining us in 10 minutes. This is the BFT. Join the show here coming up shortly. Going to get to some Nick Aliotti comments on Justin Herbert as well from yesterday's program that uh, pricked the ears, shall we say. But first, we got to get splashy. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. I love this segment because we can get so... uh, diverse with it but Peter Sampson you literally told me something 20 seconds ago that I thought was pretty interesting and it comes from the NBA world yeah the greatest thing I've seen all season long I think the uh the Milwaukee Bucks their official app is gonna have a beer me button so you can just you can just slam that bad boy from your smartphone and have a beer delivered to your seat so you don't have to miss any action because how many times have you gone and stood in line for 10 minutes you come back and your buddy that you're with is like, dude, you missed the craziest fast break or, or whatever amazing play. You're always like peeking at the TVs in the lobby. And yeah. Everything. Yeah. That makes you miss action, man. I can't miss action. I need I need the beer me app. Wait a second. Is it the Milwaukee Bucks team app has a beer me option now? It, it, it hasn't launched yet, but it's okay. about to launch. And so that's going to be at the, the Pfizer Center, I believe, Pfizer Forum. And uh, when they're at home, you're going to be able to just slam the beer button. Good, because I don't want to miss any Giannis highlights. Bob, that, Bobby, this is a great, great little uh, invention here. I don't drink beer, so it doesn't really matter. You know what they really need? <laughs> Half the reason I go to Moda is for the Dippin' Dots. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's be Ooh. honest. And the Dippin' Dots of the 300 level, that's the best Dippin' Dots is up there. I don't know. Maybe it's the atmosphere. I don't it's the know. altitude. It's yeah. the altitude, yeah. But those Dippin' Dots are so dope. I I need a Dippin' Dots button, you know? Give me uh, ice cream me. Don't you need to start adding all these different buttons onto your smart, you know, you can get these ads for the different things that you can come right to you, just order right from your seat? Yeah, so you can have beer me. You can have the ice cream button for ice cream. I love it. <laughs> Love that, too. We'll ask uh, Mike Bellotti what his favorite uh, app button would be. I don't know. We'll see if Mike Bellotti has a smartphone. He probably does. I think he's still rocking like a Nokia 3390. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Little Little brick. Snaps it on the belt. Dude, dude, (laughs) I could get a whole thing about snap phone on the belt guy. Uh, Yeah, that's that's no good. Uh, Nick Aliotti might not have a smartphone. This is his comments. This will help set up the Mike Bellotti conversation here in a couple minutes. His comments on Justin Herbert's decision, and uh, just full disclosure, he knew that I wasn't a huge fan of Herbert returning, uh, and he called me out just a little bit. Absolutely. You know, I'm not going to get in a debate with you or anybody about what he should have done. You know, you think they didn't sit down as a family over Christmas, it sounds like, and you think they didn't go over all the pros and cons and getting injured and losing this money and all that. The guy's a 4.0 student, okay? He's a 4.0-plus student. They went over all this stuff. They figured it out, and he evidently valued his college experience and a chance to do something special next year with his teammates over instant gratification 
and the fact that he's going to get all this money. So that's Nick Aliotti's opinion. He went on a little bit further. I think it's a valid opinion. I understand it completely. I want to see if Mike Blotti agrees. He's coming up next. This is the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. John Gonzano, raw, source, fresh. From the PacWest Center in downtown Portland, built by high-caliber millwrights, this is the bald-faced truth. Welcome in. Final hour of a Thursday edition of the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in for the bald one today. About 28 hours removed from the official decision on Wednesday morning that Justin Herbert says he will not forego his senior season. He will come back to the University of Oregon for one more year and be the Oregon Ducks quarterback in 2019, his senior season. Does he sacrifice a little bit of money? Yes. Does he sacrifice a little bit of instant gratification, in the words of Nick Aliotti on yesterday's radio show? In order to forego those millions of dollars he would have gotten as a first-round NFL-drafted quarterback? Yes, he does. Is there also a raised level of expectation for him and the Oregon Ducks in 2019? Yes, there is. I can't think of a better voice to have give further insights on this big decision of Justin Herbert, what it means for him, and what it means for the Oregon football program than Mike Bellotti, and he joins us right now on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. Coach, happy holidays to you. How are you enjoying your holiday season? Well, thank you. I'm enjoying it very well. We're in Bend, Oregon, and we've got the snow, and we had a white Christmas, and uh, we're going to stay here for New Year's and got some family, so it's it's awesome. It's It's been a great experience so far. Man, so that sounds awesome. I imagine um, that the vibes around uh, your holiday get-together were raised even higher when you heard of Justin Herbert's decision to come back yesterday. Well, I was happy for Mario Cristobal and the, the Duck program, uh, and I think I'm happy for Justin. I, I have been told all along that he was probably going to come back, that he wanted to play with his younger brother. You know, he's a different cat in a little bit. I mean, he's he's very intelligent, uh, 4.2 GPA. I think his education is important to him. I don't think there was a pressing need for him or his family to need money right now. And obviously he's passing up beaucoup d'argent, a lot of money. But the reality is maybe there's some things he can get better at. He's only played, really, played half of his freshman year, played half of his sophomore year. Uh, you know, so he hasn't played that much football. I think he can get better. I think the Ducks are going to put more skilled players around him, uh, especially at the receiver position and the running back position to give him more weapons. Um, and I think that'll help. And I think certainly that's probably buoyed the program, maybe even more than the recruiting class that they signed. You know what's funny, Coach, is um, I, I think back to the 2016 season when Justin was – a freshman and starting to take over as the starting quarterback. Uh, they they had the, uh, this is Mark's last season, and he was running into some problems with the QB position. And so here comes Herbert, and Oregon played a road game at Cal on a Friday, and I'm pretty sure you were there calling this game, weren't you, for ESPN, a double overtime game and, and Herbert's uh, first career road start and he lit it up with all the touchdown passes but he also threw the interception at the end where were you in berkeley calling that game 
I was. I was actually, yeah, that's right. I called that game for ESPN. You think about what Justin did on that night, and you think about how far he has progressed to this point of his career. How much further does he need to progress in order to become an NFL-caliber quarterback? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because early in the year, I was quoted as saying he's the most NFL-ready quarterback Oregon's ever turned out. And I, I still agree with that at that point. That was about the mid-season mark. And although when you look at it, they played a very soft non-league schedule and probably the first half of the year, with the exception of Washington and Stanford. And Stanford, they should have won that game. But the reality was the second half of the season, when he needed to come through, he regressed slightly. And I think he had less weapons. He only had one receiver who really trusted. Uh, and he started to force the ball. He made some mistakes. He didn't protect himself when he scrambled. So there's some little things that the pros look at beyond just size, strength, and accuracy about decision-making, the process, and all those things that he can get better at and I think is really going to be important to him. But what I saw that night in Berkeley a couple years ago was a very poor defense by the Ducks and enough offense to, to win the game in regulation or in overtime. But he did, he did make one mistake in that game, and that was throwing the pick. But I thought overall the problem was you can't just say, well, yeah, you got a great young quarterback, which they did but they also needed to make some changes on defense, which they, they just did a lot of changes. <laughs> you talk about the decision-making and the other areas where he could improve as a quarterback. Does this offense allow him to make those improvements? Well, you know, I think a lot of people question the offense or putting him in a position, but the reality was they didn't have enough talent at tight end or wide receiver to – feature more than one wide receiver and you've got in this day and age now people can take one receiver away you have to have multiple weapons multiple targets and then he's going to be able and comfortable going through some type of read progression and what i saw late in the season was he would just decide i'm going to throw to this guy because he's the only guy i trust and he would throw into coverage he would throw a man route against his own coverage to get a receiver lit up and that was not the progress he needed to make he has great tools. There's no question about his size, his arm strength, his ability to see holes in the defense, but I think he got blinded a little bit. And when when they had some injuries to the offensive line and got some running backs dinged up, the power running game for the pistol didn't support him well enough to create play action opportunities. And so I think they it'll be interesting to watch in the bowl game. They've got Panay Sewell back, the, the probably the best offensive lineman. They should be healthy pretty much across the board. And it'll be interesting to see because last year's bowl game was a disappointment against Boise State. Boise handled uh, Oregon at the line of scrimmage, and it was surprising and shocking to me at the time. And this will be a huge test with Michigan State because Michigan State is one of the best teams against the run in the nation. So Justin Herbert and the passing game is going to have to show up, and they're going to have to do some things uh, to help the running game be effective. Mike Bellotti joining us on the BFT. If I'm hearing you correctly, Coach, and I think I am, there's a certain degree of pressure on the Oregon offense to produce in this Red Box Bowl New Year's Eve. Oh, there's no question, because I I don't think Michigan State's a great offensive team. They they have some questions at quarterback, but they're a very good defensive team, and they're going to make it tough to run the ball, which is what Oregon wants to do. They want to run to set up the pass, run to set up the play action, and if they can have a semblance of efficiency in the running game, make the running game a threat, then it opens up all the rest, and it protects Justin Herbert. When you're not running the ball well and the 
the defense has you in obvious pass situations. They can blitz. They can choose what kind of coverage and what kind of pressure they want to apply. They don't have to be as basic to stop the run. So I think it's this is a huge test in my mind because now this team just came off a great recruiting season. They've had a great season. Eight and four is a great season. It's what we all sort of predicted they would be. But now this is a test in a bowl game that says, hey, you have some of your weapons back. Justin is healthy. Let's see what kind of things you can come up with because last year's bowl game wasn't a fitting end to that season. And this year's certainly could be and hopefully will be. Yeah, you really want to have a good taste in your mouth if you're a Duck fan going into the offseason with a victory, and not just any victory, but a victory that number 10 plays really well in. Um, You talk about the recruiting class that Oregon just signed. We had Nick Aliotti, your former longtime defensive coordinator, on the program yesterday, and he said it's it's hard to assume that freshmen, especially freshman receivers, will be able to come on and make an immediate, instant impact. So I look at, you know, whatever you make of the star system, but Josh Delgado, Micah Pittman, these are highly heralded recruits that have signed on with Oregon. And Coach, you're, you've been calling plays for a long time in your uh, coaching career as well. You know, what can fans expect from highly heralded recruits in their freshman seasons? I mean, what does an immediate impact look like? Because these guys are not necessarily going to be immediate 1,000-yard receivers, right, in year one? No, but if there's I, – I, I think actually receiver and running back are pretty easy as freshmen to be uh, starters and to be stars and to contribute because if one of them has the speed to take the top off the coverage, then that's an automatic additional weapon that Justin has. If some of them can catch the ball across the middle, if they're going to catch really 30 to 40 passes, it doesn't have to be 100 passes. It just has to be a second alternative weapon that's going to – if you get single coverage, you can defeat single coverage because they're going to double cover the other guy until they until you prove that somebody else can catch the ball, somebody else will make the tough catch, somebody else can take the top off the coverage. So I think – and I don't know them. I, don't, I haven't watched enough film to say those young men are going to step right in and be stars or be the kind of players Oregon needs to help Justin Herbert. I assume so, though, based on the ratings and based on the – uh, reputation of Mario Cristobal, not just as a recruiter, but as a pretty good evaluator. And I think that's one of the things that it's not just recruiting, it's evaluation and development too. And I think he and his staff have to prove now that they have had good recruiting years and a great recruiting year. But then coming up, can you develop, can you v- develop a system that allows those four stars to flourish and become five stars? Mike Bellotti is joining us on the BFT is Marcus Arroyo capable of developing that system as a play caller in your mind? I believe so, but I think, like I said, I, you know, there's a lot of question about, you know, the offense and is the pistol the best suited thing for Justin? Although I don't think that matters. If you have an offense that scores points, and I really don't care. I, it's pretty much I don't care if you run it or throw it. Score touchdowns, score more points than the opposition. That's how you win games. Uh, and one of the things that, that is, I, I read a comment the other day that I totally agree with. Marcus has to find more easy completions for Justin. Justin Herbert completed, what, 59% of his passes this year? That's a problem. That, that's a problem in either schematically or with your athletes, uh, the personnel, the scheme. I don't know what it is, but I, I, Marcus has... I think the tools to do it, I think he's done it at different levels, different places. But I don't know if 
Mario wants to run the pistol, and that's the, the most uh, prominent thing about the offense. Well, they have to do other things to take advantage of the skill set of Justin Herbert. And, and I don't know that there's any problem there. I'm just saying that those are things that when you look from the outside, you say, okay, you've got Justin Herbert. Uh, you want to run the pistol. There's great play action from the pistol, and there's bootlegs, and there's a lot of things you can do. But also, I know that they don't want to risk running him uh, too much. And in, so they got away from more of the zone read stuff, although some of the better plays and the key plays against Washington in the big win were zone reads where Justin Herbert kept the football and ran well and protected his body. But overall, completion percentage has to improve. His touchdown interception ratio is good. It can get better. But the key is, I think, just a much higher, significantly higher, like, a, you know, for the NFL, they, they'd love 70% completion rate, not less than 60. Exactly. Yeah. You know what's interesting to me, Coach, and I, I really am eager your thoughts on this too, is that Mario Cristobal, though this is his second stint as a head coach, technically, if you mix in what he did at FIU uh, before the assistant apprenticeship, the assistant coaching experience under Nick Saban at Alabama, mm-hmm. this is his real first, certainly power five gig and gig of any uh, real gravity as a head coach. So he's still relatively young in his head coaching career. What kind of advice, you know, you took over Oregon in 95. What kind of advice, when you think about yourself as going into your second year at Oregon, given the experience that followed, do you think you could give Mario Cristobal at this time? You know, I... I think Mario knows what he's doing. I think he has a vision for the program that is not based on the past, but it's based on what he knows he has to do to compete on a national level and to compete for the conference championship every year. And I think he's doing that in terms of his vision of recruiting. And certainly a lot of the pundits across the nation are agreeing that his vision of recruiting seems to be very well or very good because he's got one of the highest rated classes ever at the University of Oregon and in the nation. So I think in that regard, he's got it. He has to also get the kind of coaches that will buy in to his vision and then put the players in a position to have success on the field. Sometimes we as coaches, we believe in certain plays or certain schemes to the point where we want to force it down our player's throat. What we have to do is step back sometimes, listen to the players, what they like, and then put the players in a position to have success, even if it's somewhat different than the vision you had initially of how I might use this person, this this running back, this wide receiver, this defensive end. And so I, I think that Mario's got a ton of experience, and I think he's done some great things, and I think his vision hopefully is going to pay off. I'm just saying, can he continue to recruit that level to Eugene, Oregon? If he can, then it may not matter what you do, because if your talent is better than the opponents across the board – Sometimes you can be very simplistic in the approach. When you're not, you have to be a little bit more creative. And so that balance between creativity and the things that you know and the things that you believe in, that's the the fine line balance going forward that he has to get. At what point as a coach did you learn that? Did, Did you have to learn that the hard way at any point? I did. I learned that the hard way. And I think I learned it at Chico State when I became a head coach. And I was also an offensive coordinator at the same time, and I had to start trying to listen more to my players. And I think when I first came to Oregon, I had Bill Musgrave as my quarterback. And Bill was a veteran. He'd started for two or two years already. And uh, so 
and he was he had a different skill set than a lot of quarterbacks I knew. Very cerebral, great competitor, not the strongest arm, but just one of those guys that you call a gamer. And some of the things he would say to me afterwards, you know, I, I don't like that route, or I'd never thrown that route. And I said, yeah, yeah, you've thrown this concept the entire time. But but if his perception was that he didn't like it or he didn't, he had not felt he drilled it enough, then I'd say, okay, i got to listen to him. i got to put him in a position to have success. And then we went right from Bill Musgrave to Danny O'Neill, who started as a true fr- or a redshirt freshman. So you're starting over in a sense. And so you learn every year. I think one of the things as a coach that I learn is that you, you never know it all, and there's never one way to do things. You have to find a way to describe it to a player that he understands. And then it's not what you know. It's what the players on the field know. So you have to make sure you share your knowledge. It's not like you're a miser trying to hold it or keep it. What you want to do is have your players be smarter than you on the field, and they are the coach on the field, and it starts with the quarterback position. But see, Coach, I mean, that's that, that sounds so good to me, but that has to take a large degree of humility, right? I mean, head coaches are, are – you're men of conviction. You're a man of conviction. You're a man of great pride. You're a man of pride in your process and, and, and of your philosophy. But doesn't it take some degree of humility to put that aside in order for the betterment of a player from time to time? Uh, yes, but uh, we did that. I don't know if you remember from 1989 when I got to Oregon, we ran my offense, Mike Bellotti's offense, until 2005. And I said, that offense needs to be tweaked. It doesn't fit the skill set of guys we're recruiting. It doesn't fit the what we're seeing on defense anymore. There are some liabilities. And we went to the shotgun, zone read, spread stuff and changed and got better, got significantly better. And Dennis Dixon went from a guy that couldn't start for us in the old offense to a guy that would have been an All-American in the new offense. And it, it fit his skill set. And so I think you have to, as a head coach, always – be evaluating where you're at, where your players are at, and then where you need to go to make them effective and to put yourself in a position to have success. A lot of times who we recruited and how we recruited was trying to find the very best player possible, and sometimes we had to say, this guy's better than any other guy we could recruit. Now, he may not fit our system exactly, but let's make the system fit him. Okay. Does a similar change need to happen for Oregon in 2019 then? No, I'm not saying that. I, I think that Mario has a, a vision of what he wants to do, and it's probably built more on what Alabama has done, and that's to find the best athletes, the biggest, strongest guys up front, run the ball, play great defense, and win games. Now, people would say, though, that Nick Saban has changed or has allowed his offense to change, and they're the most dangerous team in the nation now because they can not only shut you out in defense, but they can score points in bunches and clusters on offense. So I don't know. I, I'm just saying that uh, they have they're, – they're recruiting better athletes. They're getting better athletes to come to Oregon. And they said the same thing about us. They said the same thing about Chip Kelly. And it's – you know, we basically are just trying to find difference makers. And it may not be everybody – identifies them as different difference makers, but we did. And we actually liked our recruiting class. I laughed because some of my recruiting classes were not rated that high, even in the Pac-12 or, or nationally. But those classes went on to become uh, the, the best winners in the Pac-12 for four years, so or six years, or ten years, um, and win more games. So I, I, I laugh at 
the four stars and the five stars and the recruiting services, I don't laugh at them. I think they, they do a lot of work and they, but that's what a young man has done in high school. That's not always his, what's going to happen for him in college now, how good he's going to be, the motivation, the heart muscle, all those things play a huge role. Last thing for you, coach. And uh, thanks for being generous with your time for us today. What do you think is the one either misconception or, or misperception from a, a fan base that you would like to uh, either, you know, temper their expectation or maybe uh, temper the discontent. Uh, is there any one type of uh, fan opinion or media opinion that you keep hearing that you think is a little bit off that you would like to speak some truth to? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, do no, I have to pick one? <laughs> no, because I, I don't pay much attention to those things, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, I think that, uh, this is a huge game for Oregon, this bowl game. And I, I believe they should win. I believe that they will win. But it is going to ride a lot on Justin Herbert's shoulders because the running game, if you're asking what's the strength of the Michigan State team, it's their defense against the run. That's the best thing that they do. So you have to find some way to negate that, whether an alternative running style or, or throw the ball from plays that look like runs or keep them off balance. And so it will be a test for Marcus uh, Arroyo as the offensive coordinator and Justin Herbert and Mario Cristobal because he's involved with that. And can they be effective? Can they be efficient? I, they cannot make mistakes or turnovers and give the ball up. That's the one thing. Um, but And I, so I think – and I also think – but one of the biggest – I don't think the pistol is the problem. I will just tell you that. I think a lot of people say, oh, it's not a good fit for Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert's a good fit for any offense. But what they have to do is find more weapons for him to throw to, create more opportunities for easy percentage completion throws. Well, they won't have those in, incoming freshmen for the Red Box Bowl. Those guys no. will be interesting in 2019. But it does sound like, Coach, that fans, media, whoever – it's valid for us to draw some conclusions on this Red Box Bowl and use that to prognosticate the offense for 2019. That that wouldn't be an overreaction. No, a- absolutely. I really believe you, you should. You should look at this game and say, hey, this is going to show us they've got a month to prepare here. They, they've they had a chance to hone this offense, say, what did we not do as well as we want during the season, and what do we look for? forward in terms of Michigan State how can we attack them and let's see what comes of it I I really think that they'll have a good plan and they'll execute coach thanks so much for taking the time hope you enjoy the rest of your holiday uh, week and weekend down in Central Oregon and uh, appreciate you thanks always fun to talk ball yes sir yes it is Mike freaking Bellotti react to that 503-417-7575 Good stuff from Mike Bellotti. He says the pistol is not the problem. Justin Herbert can function in any offense. Pistol's not the problem. Personnel has a little bit to do with it. Uh, Justin Herbert simply regressing in 2018 had a little bit to do with it as well. And, you know, that's the funny thing about exposure and stock is we like to think that a guy with great talent, like Justin Herbert, will simply see his stock rise as his exposure grows. But 2018 shows that that's not the case. 
what really happened is that the more that you see a guy, the more vulnerable he is to do good things, but also to make mistakes. That's what happened in 2018. And that's, you know, that's probably what someone brought up Mitch Trubisky earlier. That's probably why Mitch Trubisky left when he left. Yes, he only started in college football for, you know, one season, but he had to go because his stock was high. What happened? He ended up being the number two overall pick. That being said, he's also in a system with one of the best offensive minds in the entire National Football League in Matt Nagy. What if Justin Herbert did get drafted to the Jacksonville Jaguars, as many mocks predicted? What offensive system would he have been in then? A system that just fired its offensive coordinator. I love Nathaniel Hackett. He's one of the bright offensive minds. But there's too much weird stuff going on in Jacksonville. They fired him. And I don't think Doug Marone is necessarily the guy anymore. So situation dictates success so much in the National Football League. So, so, so much. Jared Goff got drafted by Jeff Fisher. Sucked. Jeff Fisher got fired. They hired the best offensive mind in the league. Jared Goff is the pro bowler in the NFC with Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. Not, and that's not to take away from how much hard work a guy like Jared Goff put in to get better, but you got to have the coaching in place to help you get better, to foster the improvement. You put that same conversation to Oregon Duck football in 2019, do they have that same coaching in place to foster that improvement individually as a player, collectively as an offense? The charge goes to Marcus Arroyo and Mario Cristobal. I said on yesterday's show, this is the type of season I wish David Yost was still here. Because <laughs> he was the quarterback guru that was brought in for one season to help out. And obviously he got canned with the rest of the 2016 staff. But at least he specialized in QB development. USC's got one in Cliff Kingsbury now. Wazoo has one in their head coach. You know, I'm not really sure the QB specialist that UW has, but they've got the talent in Jacob Eason. We'll see if he becomes a 2020 first-round pick as well. There's there's a high level of responsibility that falls on this Oregon Duck coaching staff now going into 2019. We'll talk to James Crappy of the Oregonian and Oregon Live uh, coming up next in a few moments. We ran heavy with Mike Bellotti. If you missed any part of that interview, you can find it posted on uh, the uh, station uh, Twitter account at 1029thegame as well as the 1029thegame.com coming up right after the show. We'll go away. We'll come back. James Crappy of the Oregonian will uh, talk more Oregon football. Justin Herbert's decision to return and preview this upcoming New Year's Eve Red Box Bowl. Ducks and Sparty. <laughs> Yeah, we were just talking during the break. Junior newbie Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean in for JC today on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. So much good stuff in that Mike Bellotti interview that uh, you want to unpack nugget by nugget and could turn another show full of content out of, really, guys. I mean, he had a lot in there. Yeah, that was great. You know, sometimes they can be a little, uh, guests can be verbose and uh, this is going okay. I could have listened to him all afternoon. That was fantastic. I have this in sections. I have the interview in front of me. I've been cutting up and it is, it is gold. It is nothing but gold. We could have started the show with this interview and done the next three hours on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, we'll, we'll be all back in the chairs tomorrow too. So, you know, chances are, 
We'll be repurposing some of that along the way. If you did miss it, you can find it uh, coming up in a few minutes on 1029thegame.com. Uh, someone who's also just as gifted as the former Oregon Duck head coach at uh, Talking Football is the Oregonian's own James Crepia. You can follow him on Twitter, at James Crepia. Down in San Francisco, getting ready for the Oregon Ducks and Michigan State Spartans. James, a month was too long, my friend. I can't believe a month has gone by that we've talked football. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, it has been a while, and it's it's been kind of surprising it's been that long, given that uh, just the sheer volume of things that have happened. Uh, no kidding. Around the Oregon program over the last month, uh, it's kind of surprising as well. But uh, not no shortage of things to talk about. That's for sure. Let's just play the hits, man. Justin Herbert comes back. What was your reaction to that? Uh, quite honestly, guys, I I I mean, this is kind of the worst kept secret. Uh, for a while, uh, and all Oregon fans certainly, you know, felt that that was where things were headed. Uh, but really, from the day I arrived here, uh, the feeling that I got, and from everybody I had spoken to, not just in the program around the program, I mean, uh, just the prevailing wisdom, uh, as it was, was that he was coming back. Uh, so the fact that he made it officially so. Uh, didn't come as a surprise to me, and frankly, several players said it really didn't come much as a surprise to them. Uh, even if they, you know, didn't hear it directly from him until he declared his intentions, nobody was really all that shocked or surprised by it. Obviously, they're all thrilled uh, for a lot of people inside the program, uh, but I don't think anybody was necessarily surprised. Uh, for me, like I can say I'm not surprised, uh, and frankly, I think, what, like I said last night on Twitter, I think with Mel Kuyper's evaluation of uh, the decision saying it was very wise uh, for Justin to decide to come back and that based on really the second half of this season uh, and the, you know some of the potential that he has going forward, that it makes for a wise decision, that there is certainly room to grow. Uh, that you know, while he's certainly the average person could say, yeah, but you're leaving money on the table. Well, for one, you don't know if you're leaving it on the table. You just need to get it a year from now. Now, of course, you'd love to have that much, you know, more billions of dollars in a year clean, <laughs> but with insurance policies and other things, that helps mitigate any concerns. And ultimately, I think Justin very heavily uh, wanted to play with his brother. I think that was a one part of it, for sure. Uh, that, I think he very much enjoys college and, and the college experience right now and also sees that he can develop and further his game at this level. Now, we spoke to him today at the practice, and he didn't want to get into uh, all the factors that went into it just yet. He said he would be happy to do so after the bowl game, so you can respect that. Uh, but ultimately, I think a lot what a lot of people felt was going to be the case uh, just proved to be the case and says a lot about him, but also says a lot about the Oregon offense, that not only him, but you've got Jake Hansen and Calvin Throckmorton saying they're coming back, and Shane Lanou saying he wants to, but was going to discuss it with his teammates. And we saw the here from Dylan Mitchell, but based on draft projections at least, it's kind of hard to see how he could, you know, rationalize going and entering the draft uh, based on where, where projections are at the moment. Uh, so in that case, Oregon looks like it's going to have a pretty stacked offense with virtually everybody, you know, the two deep coming back for next season. Yeah, stacked offense and a daunting schedule, which is the opposite of what we were talking about in the preseason up to 2018, where we're talking about how team-friendly the schedule looked yet it still produced an 8-4 and four regular season. 
2019. It gets started with a bang, taking on the Auburn Tigers, a program you're familiar with from your days covering uh, War Eagle. Now that the news is out that Justin Herbert will be the quarterback, health provided in that football game, just how massive of a game is that for Oregon to start next season? It's huge. It's huge in a lot of ways. Look, just as the opening game of this past season was huge for Washington and all for this past year. Uh, now, from a perception standpoint, mainly in the end, did it really prove to be enormous? Um, well, by the end of the year, it certainly had a far lesser impact. Auburn wins, yet ends up with a 7-5 season. Frankly, if Auburn loses that game, there is a decent chance, quite honestly, that Gus Malzahn is fired right. if they lose that game. Uh, I, not because it would be fired the week later. It's just we would have been fired because he was 6-6. Six six. Uh, or worse, frankly, mentally, the team might have, you know, it, who knows what would have happened thereafter. Washington, if anything, the argument was because Washington lost that game that, you know, Pac-12 champion is once again relegated to playing in the Rose Bowl and has no chance whatsoever of making it to the playoff. And really, Washington was a team that had no chance really by mid-October. Uh, the only team that really had a shot at all was Washington State. So if you're looking ahead and saying, all right, similar situation, what is Oregon walking into facing Auburn, who is coming off a 7-5 season, will have a new starting quarterback and a atrocious offensive line <laughs> with no obvious answers coming forward unless they get a litany of graduate transfers in the offseason. Uh, and not all that great a, a running back core, but a couple of talented wide receivers with what will likely be a very young, if not completely inexperienced quarterback, potentially a freshman, potentially. I'm not saying that's going to happen. What does that game mean? Well, it's still an SEC opponent. And no matter how many defenders leave that Auburn team, they're losing their entire linebacker court. They're losing one, at least one defensive lineman, but most, almost a given that it's going to be at least two. It could be as many as four, but I'll say two for sure. And then out of the secondary, they might lose somebody. Even still, that is an unbelievably deep and talented defense. If Oregon could go out and win at what will truly be a neutral site in Arlington, Texas, if they can beat that Auburn team in that week, oh boy. Because obviously the following two weeks, well, we get way too far ahead of ourselves. We can start looking and saying, all right, well, I think we can chalk people about it. Montana games is wins. <laughs> uh, then that makes that Stanford game, you know, late, late September at Stanford all the much bigger. James Kirby. That will be a huge. Huge matchup of quarterbacks. Huge yeah. Matchup quarterback. Right. And, you know, even that Auburn game, including that, it's going to be the second consecutive Power Five opponent that Oregon faces if you pair it with Michigan State in the upcoming Red mm-hmm. Box Bowl. And looking at the Red Box Bowl matchup, James, uh, do you have any further clarity on who you kind of like in this matchup or what particular matchup on the field are you going to be intrigued with the most? I, I, on paper, it looks like the Oregon rush attack against the Sparty rush defense. It's going to be hard to uh, it, it's, it's hard to see who has the advantage there. Yeah, it really is, uh, because uh, on one hand, uh, you could say, well, gosh, you know, has Oregon really faced the defense as stout as Michigan State's defense is? I mean, in all fairness, have they really faced the defense that stout? Well, in the front seven, from a pure, stout, excuse me, pure talent standpoint, probably not, especially with Kenny Willekes. Willekes is, is just a, a, 
<laughs> he's a man on boys in, in a lot of games that he plays, and he is a truly elite edge rusher. Uh, he will be a problem, no question about it. Now that said, Oregon having a school back in this game is a you know big big game changer as well. But that said, it's still uh, an unbelievable talent on, on both sides, and that's one of the key matchups that not only to the game, I think Willick is against Sewell and Brock on the ends will be a, uh, an intriguing matchup that I'll be paying attention to uh, for sure, but it's going to be the, the, the running game in particular. Uh, can Oregon establish the run in any capacity against a team? Well, look, they've held seven opponents under 100 yards. They're the nation's leader in rush defense, and it's, their numbers are basically like 80 yards a game on the ground. That's, that's stunning. That's incredible. Uh, if Oregon can even get to 80 to 100, that would be real success. Uh, against this, this Michigan State defense. So certainly that matchup is the most compelling one uh, from a unit's perspective. I like to say the Willicus matchup, the two tackles, definitely personnel-wise very interesting. I think the other one that's interesting is on the other side of the ball, when Oregon's on offense, uh, or excuse me, that, that, that same side of the ball, uh, when Mitchell is lined up because Justin Lane is out, I'm curious to see, do they, stick with Jos- do they just put Josiah Scott on him? And Josiah Scott played the last four games. He missed the first eight games coming off an injury. And he played the last four, and he's burning his year of eligibility to play in this game. I think in part because he gets to line up against Dylan Mitchell, quite honestly, and get to play against Justin Herbert. Uh, it, it sees this as a huge opportunity to say, well, gosh, the whole year of eligibility. Really? Yeah, but like you were just talking about, some of these non-conference games are so big that the value in playing in the one game is so high if you're able to play well on tape that, it may just flat out be worth it. Frankly, this is an All-American, a freshman All-American. So is this really a player that's worried about playing four or five years in the first place? So, all right. I, I think Mitchell up against, like I say, Josiah Scott could be a very, very key matchup off the line, of, uh, purely at the line of scrimmage and point of attack. Yeah, Mike Bellotti was on with us a few moments ago, and, and uh, he validated the... Uh, reaction of, of fans to the Red Box Bowl as being, you know, he said that it's not an overreaction to draw any conclusions from the Red Box Bowl to the 2019 Oregon Ducks season. That Oregon's had a month to prepare for this game. They know the areas in which they struggled in the regular season. Therefore, they know the adjustments they they should make for a game against probably the best defense collectively that they faced all year. In your mind, is there a pressure on Justin Herbert and Marcus Arroyo to be able to be effective and produce against a great defense that would almost validate his decision to come back for one more year? Gosh. Uh, pressure? No, I don't think there's real pressure. Honestly, I really don't. Uh, not any more than there would be for any other opponent. I mean, if Michigan State wasn't the opponent, I mean, if, if this was against, you know, Northwestern or, you know, to go back to at the beginning of the month and say all those bowl projections happening against either Northwestern or uh, uh, Iowa or Wisconsin or somebody like the Holiday Bowl or something, if that was the matchup, what would happen? I don't think it really would be any any more pressure necessarily because, one, a lot of those teams have some pretty good defenses, so I think it just would have been compelling regardless. It just happens to be the best run defense. Uh, Obviously, I'll say this. If Oregon has just abundance of success running the the ball, like C.J. Burdell goes off for like 150 yards against the Michigan State defense, then, yeah, I think you can feel pretty good about things. That said, if Michigan State completely bottles up Burdell and die on the ground, is that an indictment of the Oregon offense? No, because Michigan State has done this to everybody, basically. And the season high is against them on the ground. 
you know, 200 yards, just just over 200 yards with Penn State, the only team to do that, and they lost. And the only team to score uh, three rushing touchdowns, Utah State, season opener, no less, they lost, lost badly, and had under 100 yards rushing, just happened to score three rushing touchdowns the way it broke. So I, I don't think from a sheerly a production standpoint is, is going to be a big deal. Obviously, the game that we're going to talk about and have the whole offseason basically to, to focus on as a performance. And then you, once you get into the summer after spring practice and all that, then we'll look ahead to the offering game again and, and build that up. But I don't think there's any more pressure necessarily. No. I, obviously, look, do they want to win? I think this team wanted to win whatever bowl game they were going to. I think this team, everybody, coaches and players, wanted to show. Thomas Grant talked about it back at the beginning of November, saying, look, we, we want to show steady progress. We're a team that we haven't won a bowl game in a while. And we want to get to a ninth win because we haven't done that the last couple of years. Players on this team haven't gotten a chance to do that. So we want to keep validating and keep telling that we're good and we're, we're heading in the right direction. I think they were playing on that, whether they were playing, like I say, Michigan State or anybody else for that matter. Now it happens to be. Yeah, it's a very formidable defense. If they have a good day, that's awesome. If they don't, I don't think that that's necessarily uh, uh, invalidates the decision by Justin Herbert to come back or anybody else in the offense or anything else. But Michigan State is damn good defense. Last minute with you, James. Uh, say Dylan Mitchell comes back. Say Troy Dye comes back. What is the expectation for 2019 Oregon Duck football? Is it is anything less than a Pac-12 title a disappointment? I think you have to know entirely the full landscape before you can say that because that that is such a high ceiling in general. Just as far as I mean, top any anybody saying elite championship or or, or anything less is brutal. When you just haven't, when you're not coming off of one, I mean, this is not Alabama, you know, where this is like the, the gold standard at the, at the absolute peak uh, of insanity from a fandom standpoint. Uh, before I can say that for sure, again, I just want to know the full landscape of the league of exactly who's coming back and where and, and who's hired, who's coordinators, and et cetera. I mean, right now, like, can you tell me for sure what Washington face quarterback is next season? No, no one can, really. I, no, I mean, nobody, nobody can. So, I mean, before I can really make that kind of statement, I, I just need to know a little bit more. Obviously, do I think if they come back with everybody that fans' expectations will be that? I can totally see it. You can certainly make the case. That said, as we just talked about, this schedule certainly has some tougher games in there. Uh, obviously, at Stanford, at Washington, at SC, heck, even potentially at Arizona State. That's a late game at Arizona State at a a year that many people didn't think was going to be coming this year on the Herman Edwards when he's hired. <laughs> Let's remember. <laughs> Even if it ended up with a disappointment and a loss of the Vegas Bowl, nobody exactly saw that coming. Now, look, they're going to have to replace a lot, but they also still have, you know, Benjamin back. And by the time with the world knows what that team's going to look like in November next year, my God, that could be a tougher road game than, than we think of today. Not to mention the Auburn in the opener. Could I see it? Absolutely. That's it. That's what he asked me. Do I think that they're going to be a top five team next year? Do they have everybody back? When, when Herbert just announced, one of my buddies asked me, oh, are they top five next year? I go, whoa, 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 whoa. They're not ranked right now. Okay? This is still a team that struggled mightily at times against very good running teams and very good running backs. Let's not completely lose perspective. Be excited. Be thrilled as a fan. But just remember this team is still 8-4. It still has some question marks. That's all I'm saying. Appreciate the time as always, James. We'll talk to you again in the lead up to the uh, the Red Box Bowl New Year's Eve. Sounds good. Thanks, guys.
Follow him on Twitter at James Crepia. You can react to that or anything you've heard on the show for our final segment coming up next at 503-417-7575. It's the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate everybody being along for the ride on a Thursday edition of the BFT. Judah Newby, Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean, final moments uh, with you. And uh, thanks for all the callers, as always, both yesterday and today. Sam's down in Eugene. He's been waiting patiently. What's up, Sam? Hey, how you doing? Good, man. What's on your mind? Well, you know, we look at the Oregon football team that's coming up for this bowl game here next week and how they match up and we we're hoping that they can stay focusing and do what they need to do, and because that would be a good uh, a good stepping stone to get next year's season started and going in the right direction versus losing a bowl game like that. That's very so, true. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, and you know, you, you might say that's well, yeah, obviously, but you think about how bad a taste the Boise State loss left in Oregon Ducks' minds, left it in my mouth as well. And it wasn't just that they lost. It was the way they lost. It was getting 38 put up on them and having Boise State, a non-Power 5, not have the advantage in the trenches, dominate them in the trenches. And that is so antithetical to Mario Cristobal's philosophy. How did we get dominated by Boise freaking State? Right? I think that was the off-season motivation to get ready for this year. And so depending on how Monday goes, Samson and Bean, I mean, I think that will help dictate the motivation this off-season for next year. Oh, it has to. It absolutely has to. Yeah. No, I agree, and I think this is a great test, for, the, especially for the Oregon offense. Yeah. I, I really do. All right, uh, not to steal anything from Dan Patrick or anything like that, but what did we learn on the show today, Samson? I learned that, uh, <laughs> oh, it's not Meat Friday yet? Come on. <laughs> I learned that Mike Bellotti can bring the heat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to play it in my sports update, but I know it's it's not the pistol. And pistol's not the problem. <laughs> yep. He has in Mike Bellotti. Justin Herbert can fit just about any offense. It's a means of getting the right players around him, hence the 2019 recruiting class and then getting those guys to produce. We'll see if Dylan Mitchell comes back. We'll see if Troy Dye comes back. The news today, Jake Hansen is coming back. I bet Shane Lemieux will as well. We'll do this again tomorrow. Thanks for being along for the ride. Judah, Samson, Bean, the BFT signing off.